Hey, Ryan, thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. It's great. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, it's it's been fun. I get getting to know you from a distance, I guess. We've talked, you know, a few times through email now and of course through YouTube chat and comments and lives and stuff like that. And uh, I mean, I mean, you have a great uh knowledge of the hobby and uh yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, so excited to have you in uh, you know, here and and get to talk to you finally. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. All right, man. So, let's uh let's start with this. You know, you've been in the hobby for I believe for quite some time um and 30 years 30 years holy yeah. smokes i didn't realize it was that long 30 years and uh for those that don't know you know ryan runs a website where he writes phenomenal articles on there and we'll talk about that in a second but let's start with you know what is it you enjoy collecting what is it you enjoy in the hobby right now uh great great question so uh, i um i'm really into vintage um <clears throat> i stopped I stopped collecting modern uh, about 1994 or so. Um, what I, yeah, it's been a while. My goodness. So, <laughs> That's almost yeah. a full 30 years right there. Yeah. So I, um, I collect uh, baseball, basketball, hockey, um, football, uh, golf, tennis. And I'm now just starting to get into basket, uh, not, well, not basketball, but uh, what is it? Uh, soccer, right? So, um, and then there's the non-sports cards as well, which I'm I'm really kind of getting into as well. Um, and that's all just for the history and for the artwork. Um, and that's what drives me really is the, the artwork and the history. Yeah. And so you said vintage specifically, and then, you know, a slew of sports there. I mean, is that do you define vintage as pre-1972 or what's your definition of vintage? So true vintage would be about uh, 18, oh geez, maybe 1887 to uh, about 1960. Um, and some people say it's, it's, it's not really well defined because mm-hmm. uh, some people say it's about 1970. Uh, and then the, the, the younger generations, I guess, would say like 1980. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at this point, if a player is not playing, people will refer to them as vintage. You know, that's <laughs> that's kind of like colloquial. You know, that's how people are saying it. But obviously, you know, if you looked at a map, you know, a, a timeline, it wouldn't look like that. You said 1887. Um, were, were there cards before 1887? Is that kind of different? Yeah, they're, they're actually, uh, Jack. So it's uh, the, the first cards that we know of uh, are from 1863. Uh, and, and they weren't actually... They were more like ticket ticket stubs or uh, tickets to a, a, a cricket game, I believe, um, and from New York. Um, so like the first actual cards, uh, they were actually issued in, in tobacco, obviously tobacco packages from, from about, uh, they, they think about 1879. Um, and, and then uh, uh, Duke, yeah. Uh, James Duke ended up, uh, he, he took over for his father uh, and, and he started the, the, the tobacco cards that we know today. Uh, and, and it, yeah. I actually may have read this on your website or maybe I read it. So I think I read it on your website. Is it true? They stopped making tobacco cards because essentially it was like advertising to kids, like tobacco products to kids. Uh, yeah, um, so they, they were advertising, I guess, scantily clad females. Putting them <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
put yeah. them into tobacco packages, and in, in 1897 they were uh, they were basically outlawed for about uh, about 10 years or so. Yeah, we'll go big here. I picked up this Mark Twain from 1901 Ogden, and I was looking at some of these other Ogden cards. I got like a Henry the Eighth too, which I thought was cool. But excellent. Yeah, yeah. And there's, but there's a ton of women. There's a ton of women in these things. I was like, my goodness, you know, they do got so many women in these cards. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, that, I love Mark Twain. Um, I, I write about him often, and uh, I, I've read as many books as I can about him. So. Yeah, this was a fun one, man. I've actually always wanted to buy a card on stream, um, and I kind of, I kind of want it to happen organically. And then Flippin' Steve was on. This was a few weeks ago, and I'm like, "What are you buying?" You know, and he was just in the chat. He wasn't even on the stream, and he's like, "You know, 1901 Mark Twain, and then or 1901 Ogden is what he said." And then CNT said Mark Twain. I looked it up. This is a four. It's mis. No, it's Mark. There's no. It's you can't see it. It's on the back. It's whatever. Beautiful car, right. sixty-five bucks. I was like, "That seems stupid cheap. I'll just take it." <laughs> that's real. That's really cheap. That's great. That, that's yeah. a great card too. It's, congratulations on that. Do you have any? Because you said a lot of sports stuff, but do you have mm -hmm. any stuff like that too? That's like you know, I guess not sports. You know, Americana. I guess you'd say. I I do, and I, maybe if this won't turn out correctly, but uh, if you can if you can see it, let me get this up bigger. Screw it over there. See if I can. There you go. Put it right in front of your face. A little bit. Yep. All right. All right, that's cool. So if you can, if you can see, you might not know who that is, but that's Ignatius Donnelly. Uh, it's from the 1888 uh, presidential possibility set. Um, and I've written extensively about that set in particular uh, because it's, there's so much history around it. And Ignatius Donnelly is the guy who, uh, he he's the guy uh, who basically started the um, uh, Atlantis, you know, the the mythical city. If you want. Oh, really? That's yeah. Cool. He was also a, a senator as well. So <laughs> senators have always been kooky. It turns out, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's a it's a great set. Um, you have uh, Ignatius Donnelly in that set. You got uh, Benjamin Harris, uh, Robert Lincoln. Um, President Lincoln's son in it. Uh, let's see who else. And whoever Cleveland. Um, so it is. It is a great set, and there's a, there's a, some baseball references to it as well. Uh, That's so, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm digging this Americana stuff. I'm looking pretty hard for um, a Teddy Roosevelt. I'm a big Teddy Roosevelt fan, and he's got some stuff on eBay. There's a card for like 200 bucks in SGC case. It looks really good. Uh, but I don't want to spend 200 bucks on it. I don't know if it's worth that, but it's from 1908. And I'm like, eh, you know, it's pretty nice. Okay. Yeah. He's got, he, he's got a lot more cards than, um, uh, William Howard Taft. Uh, it was my personal favorite. Yeah. President. Mr. Republican, uh, right? Taft. Yeah. 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 He, uh, he's, I think he's the reason why we, uh, we have an income tax now. Um, Is he really? Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how much I like him then. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know if that's good. <laughs> no, but uh, he he lifted the ban on tobacco cards, so uh, oh. that's why. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess we're gonna talk about presidents here. I've always liked Roosevelt because, um, I mean, whatever. I don't agree with all his policies or whatever. I mean, we're going back a hundred years. Who cares? Yeah. If I agree with his policies, but like, I always liked that. You know, he kind of wasn't like in the best shape, but he always made sure that he was in better shape than the next guy. You know, he was very physically active and. He just enjoyed life, so I don't know. I like Teddy. 
yeah, he 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 did do a lot. He's he's not as card wise goes. He's not as important as the others. Yeah. a few others, but uh, um, which is weird is he didn't really like baseball. I think he called it a molly coddle sport. He so. loved football. He actually, it's actually kind of funny. He actually saved football. Um, this was around the turn of the century. Um, yeah. I think it was like some nineteen oh five. Yeah, there was six six men died, I think, on the field in NCAA football. Yeah. And Teddy said, "Hey, you have to change this. You know, you, we can't keep having kids die on the field." And then that out of that become you know comes the invention of the forward pass, um, and then Pop Warner and you know the the Native American school that Pop Warner coached. You know, forward pass became very popular because they did so well. And then it goes on to the Washington Redskins, and then and now today's game is nothing but the forward pass so yeah that's pretty neat there yeah i'll be writing a little bit about the uh, the washington redskins they have a, a bunch of match matchbook uh covers from the the late 30s and early 40s um oh from the early 40s mm -hmm. i didn't know there was matchbook covers that were like sought after from the early 40s i know the 30s that the diamond matchbooks right yeah yeah i didn't know that carried into the 40s too yeah this was uh this was a, a team specific set um from like 1939 to 42 and, and sammy Baugh is in it and there's a few others uh oh look out be still my checkbook you might have to go pick me up a sammy ball <laughs> yeah actually it's pretty cheap uh his rookie is actually in the 1938 uh dixie lid premium set um oh man i'll have so, to check that out yeah i mean i knew the 48s you know 48 lee 48 bowman i've been looking at those but if he's got a cool matchbook i might check that out because usually they're super cheap yeah yeah they are um it's one of those uh those quote-unquote hidden gems yeah so uh, and there's a lot of history behind behind the uh, the Washington Redskins as a as a football team. Uh, not all of the good, but um, me as a reporter, I, I got to do like the uh, the good and the bad and split it down the middle. You know? Yeah. Do you think? Well, I don't want to ruin. You know, if you're going to put this in the article, don't don't answer it. You know, we'll move on to the next subject. But I mean, do you think that they named the team Redskins? You know, as as a uh, it definitely is an homage, but you think they did it in, from good intentions, or do you think it was done out of you know purely fiscal? No, so so um, the the Washington Redskins, as, as we here in Boston know, uh, they started in 1936, and it was a, it was an homage to uh, their first uh, coach, who who said, I believe that he said that he was uh, a Native American in order to. Uh, um escaped the uh the the draft in world war one and and he actually i think he got busted and, and spent a year in, in prison or some did some jail time i believe it's reported that he's not actually native american no. <laughs> so, <No. yeah>. <laughs> 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 oh boy that's rough yeah but didn't the owner he wanted because I mean, people, I don't know how many people know this, but, you know, um, the forward pass and that style of game was associated with Native Americans because Pop Warner and the school, like that's where it originated from. And I don't know. What I have read is that the owner wanted to maintain that style of football. He liked the way that, you know, you would say, you know, the way Native Americans played football, he wanted to replicate that. And that's why Sammy Ball is a good fit there. And then they yeah. kind of really reinventing or bringing the forward pass, to, I guess, to professional football. I, yeah, I, I'll have to look into that a little bit further. Uh, I know George Preston Marshall was a uh, incredible racist, which was, again, pretty funny that the, you would name the, the team the, the Redskins. Yeah, I, 
I would imagine. I mean, it's 1930s. I imagine there's, you know, most people, certainly by today's standards, especially, we're, we're, we're probably raging racist so. <laughs> for the most part. But all right, let's talk about your site here. Let me pull this up here. So for anyone who hasn't checked it out, let me get this pulled up. It's called History Through Cards. And, um, you know, Ryan shared this with me a little while ago. And I mean, your articles are, I mean, they're just phenomenal. I've read maybe two and a half of them now because they do take some time. They're lengthy. I mean, you you dive into this stuff. Um, and let's see, that was one I was just reading right though. This one, the 33 Gaudi set. This is one I'm reading right now. I'm on like a page two. I thought this was, <laughs> so far, it's pretty interesting. I think it's interesting. You talk about like, it should be considered basically the third most iconic set in, in all sports. Yeah, I agree. There's there's actually three three sets that are the, the, the top three of the 20th century, uh, and that's one of them. Um, you can say the 1952 Tops baseball set and the 1909 T206 is the other set um, that defines the 20th century. I was thinking about this a little bit. Well, you, defining the 20th century. Well, that's fair. Okay. Well, because I was just, I was going to ask, like, do you think that 53 Tops, that's the oil painting one, right? I mean, is that iconic? I mean, I guess it's iconic, but maybe not definingly iconic. Um, in a legal sense, probably, mm -hmm. uh, just because the tops and Bowman, uh, they, they had contract wars, uh, that was basically the end of the contract wars, uh, which started in, I believe, 1949, 1950, uh, with that, with those two companies. Um, I do personally, I, I, because I'm an artist, I, I do like the 1953 top set. Uh, Jerry Dorvac was an awesome artist. He he did so many of those paintings, um, and, and so like you know, it, his artwork really kind of shines. You know, and it, it lives on well after his passing. What kind of artwork? You, I mean, that's a you can't just drop a bomb like that. You're an artist. What what kind uh, of artwork yeah. do you do? Yeah, so I'm a advertising illustrator, and uh, I do um, portraits for retired uh, major leaguers and and other ball players and their families. Well, that's pretty cool, man. Is it like straight up like oil painting portraits, or what? What is it? Um, it's it's kind of everything. Uh, anything that the that the uh, person wants. That they uh, yeah, and I've I've actually started. I I've done that for such a long time that it's. It's kind of like taking out the trash now. I, I uh, don't. Ex I don't really enjoy it. Tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> but I, on the other hand, I have met so many ball players uh, over the years and, and gotten to know them personally. Um, everybody from Bob Feller to Duke Snyder, um, Man, Johnny, cool. yeah, Johnny Pesky, um, and there's you know players who played in the twenties, the thirties, forties. Um, and fifties, and, and I, I talked to a lot of them about non-sports stuff as well. I think there's a something going on with my mic. Can you hear me? I have no issues. Yeah. Just okay. Over here. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um. Yeah. So so when I talked to Duke Snyder, we didn't really talk about baseball. <laughs> we instead I I talked to him about uh, his time in the Navy, and, and same with Bob Feller. Um, I got to know pretty well over 10 years, uh, and then Yogi Berra, uh, I got to talk to him for a bit and, and just chat with him and, and, and hang out. And 
you know, I had lunch with Cal Hardy of the Red Sox at one point. And I My just, goodness, man. Yeah, Dom DiMaggio. I, I knew all those guys, Bobby Doerr. How long um, have you been doing these paintings? I mean, assuming that's how you got to know these guys. 25 years. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. I saw t- whatever on your site, man. You've got he's got a lot of <clears throat> quotes all over the place, and I saw one with Yogi on there. It's pretty good. It said, uh, uh, "Tomorrow or was it the future ain't the same as it used to be?" <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Yogi sure is. Yeah, he's Yogi Berra is one of those players, I, I believe, um, that transcends um, baseball, and, and and not only that, but. Uh, there's there's certain players that that basically they, they transcend uh, um, generations too, so you know my grandfather could have watched Yogi Berra, my dad could have could have watched him, and I could have seen him on TV, um, which I did in fact. So um, yeah, he's he's a, he's a national icon as as far as I'm concerned. Oh yeah, Yogi for sure is, and I guess it's funny as time passes too. Some of these guys, their reach just ends at some point, but yogis will keep going for at least a little bit anyway. His yogiisms, at the very least, you know, they're going to keep going. Yeah, there, there's certain players that, that you teach in, in history class, and right? he's one of them. Yeah, I mean, if you go back all the way back, you know, to the turn of the century, I feel like Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, Honus Wagner, these are the three guys that you'll hear about maybe in a history class and Wagner's really only because of the card. Like it's just no way yeah. that, but people like to talk about Cobb and, and Ruth. And then you'll hear about shoeless Joe just because the scandal was such a big deal. Um, but outside of that, you know, Walter Johnson's name never comes up, you know, it, you, you gotta be in those circles to, to even know that name exists. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, so, so with Harness Wagner, which is really, I don't know, it's tough for me. Uh, as as a historian and a writer, is that his card has really overshadowed his career, and and that's that's too bad. That's really a shame because he was one of the best players of his generation and the, one of the best shortstops of the, of the first half of the twentieth century. So it was uh, it was him and was it Napla Lazal? I don't know how you say his name. Napoleon Lajoie. Lad, there we go. Yeah. Flash your way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll do my best. Yeah. So I mean, but see, even for me, I mean, that's like, man, we're pulling in the way back there, you know. But yeah. to be fair, you know, a lot of my studying's been more on the football side. So, you know, it is what it is. So so who do you like in football? <clears throat> well, you know, football to me, especially from a card perspective, it really doesn't start till 48. Now you can find some stuff before then, of course, the the National Chicle, um, the 1887 uh, Mayo or 1897, whatever year it is, they make that kind of stuff. Um, but really, I've been going into the 50s and, and learning a lot about the 50s. <clears throat> I'm just really taking it one decade, decade at a time. And uh, guys that I like that I don't think get enough love, uh, Otto Graham is, is probably first and foremost. Um, <clears throat> another guy I'm pretty hot on right now, which isn't the 50s, it's the 60s, but Paul Warfield, um, that's a big one. And I love Bobby Lane. You know, yeah. not a lot of people have – not, not a lot of people know Bobby Lane, but man, if people knew who he was, how he played, I think people would freaking love that guy. You know, I mean, he he would get hammered every day, I mean, just every day, just get, you know, blind hammered. He'd go into a game hungover, win the game, no questions asked. Uh, and then, you know, he wins championships for the Lions in the 50s. And then they let him go. And Bobby puts a 50-year curse 
on uh, on the Lions. And as he did in most of his life, you know, he uh, he overdid it. You know, he he overachieved, and it, it's been like a seventy year curse now. So he's been killing. Them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those those uh, those I love the bronze teams of the nineteen fifties and, and the forties. Um, and and if you if you're into the Bowman uh, football set, um, the the uh, so you can find Bobby Bobby Lane's cards all over the place uh, in the nineteen fifties. Um, his personally, my my own favorite is the the nineteen fifty two, uh, but Bowman, um, just for the artwork and just for the artwork and um, the 19, the late fifties football is it's pretty amazing because it's very cheap and you can find a lot of stars and and if i was a a novice collector wanting to get into football uh you know vintage football i would go for the 1950s uh, the late 50s i'd say like 19 1956 to like 1961 62 around there yeah i think <clears throat> As you know, my YouTube journey has been like this journey to figure out what it is I want to collect and how I want to collect. You know, I've been collecting for a long time, but like I said, you know, I felt like I ended up really just amassing, not collecting. And as I look back over time, I looked at what cards were available. That's where I identified. I was like, 50s football is so cheap. It's so cheap. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's, it's pennies on the dollars compared to baseball and people love football. So I don't understand. And these guys, you know, they're, they're not the icons that baseball players, players were. And that might be, you know, what, is their downfall in price, but at the same time, you know, you're getting 70 year old cards of not just hall of famers, but actual goats, you know, the best players of their eras. And it's, you know, a few hundred dollars for their rookie cards in a reasonable condition. Okay. Well, I mean, that seems like a bargain, you know, compared to what, you know, what else you could be buying, you know, versus what else that, where else that dollar could go, I guess. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the funny thing is, is football, Obviously, it's a you know it's a it's not really yet a national pastime as as baseball was uh, back in the fifties. But the the funny thing is that if you look at baseball in the nineteen fifties, you think it's the golden age, and yet at the same time, uh, attendance was was down throughout throughout baseball, and and that's where mm. you had you had the television, and I think which contributed uh -huh. to it, and you had radio. Um, and, and so like, that's where football really shined was after world, world war two. Um, and, and, uh, and then you had, you, you know, new equipment and new styles of play. A lot of the players who were just getting out of the service in world war two, um, a lot of them were you know, recruited, uh, you know, a lot of them by the Browns, you know, uh, mm. Paul Brown is, is. I think he's highly underrated. Um, yes, as a as a uh, innovator and a coach, uh, and he's again he he and uh, George Hallis are both in in the 1952 Bowman set. Yep, uh, which I listen. I highly recommend anybody <laughs> grabbing grabbing those cards. Um, just you know because of the the popularity and. Um, and that's my rat for <laughs> no for, man that's it yeah i love the 52 bohm and i had to pull it up you know when you said it i was like oh yeah i love it because i want the thomas landry from that set i want the paul brown real bet there's a lot of cards i want from that set 
just on your thing about Paul Brown, I kind of did some coach tree study and I went on a coach kick. I was just not buying cards, but just like just watching a lot of content about coaches. It kind of started with the Bill and Bill documentary, Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick. <clears throat> and then when you, when you trace it all the way back, you go to Paul Brown and, you know, Paul Brown, um, you know, mentors Steve Walsh. Is that right? 49ers, right? Steve Walsh. I got that right, right? I think so. Yeah. And then, you know, out of Walsh, out of Walsh's tree, you get, you know, Steve Mariucci, Andy Reid, uh, Mike Holmgrum, John Gruden, all these guys. And so when you look at, you know, I talked about earlier, like the Washington Redskins in the forward pass, you know, that is the league today. When you look at how offenses were built, how offenses play today, it comes directly from Paul Brown. You know, Paul Brown really challenged a lot of things. Otto Graham's a good example. Otto Graham didn't play college quarterback. He played on a basketball team. And, you know, he just saw, you know, Paul Brown says, this guy's an athlete. Give me this guy. And he put him back there to play quarterback, and he could run the ball and throw the ball. Yeah. Um, so I, I have a question for you. Uh, what's, what's your favorite sport? My favorite sport, um, <laughs> it's football by far, but my favorite team is the Houston Astros. I love watching the Astros. Well, I get anxious as hell watching the Astros, but <laughs> I like watching them. Uh, but my favorite, like, could I just turn it on and watch any two teams play? It's football. Okay. Okay. So, um, you know, being from Boston, I, I kind of uh, – I grew up with uh, Steve Grogan and then afterwards with uh, um, was uh, Tom Brady and, and a few others. I can't remember. Bledsoe. Bledsoe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wasn't a big fan of Bledsoe. He had his moments. I think he, uh, he jumped over a bunch of uh, players with a broken finger and, and scored a touchdown. <laughs> which was which was uh, unusual for him. He was um, he wasn't exactly a mover. <laughs> no, nope. he wasn't a he wasn't a runner. Um, so, you know, t Tom Brady and the Patriots are. Um, it was pretty impressive to see, and and here in Boston, we were very spoiled with our sports teams over the last twenty yeah, I years. I would say so. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, it's it, been phenomenal. Yeah, we had an 86-year drought with the Red Sox. Um, but my, my favorite team uh, would have been, had they actually stayed in Boston, was the, uh, the Braves. Um, and I, I, loved, I loved the Braves players, the Boston Braves players, uh, Warren Spahn and, and Sibby Sisti uh, especially. Um, they were great guys. Um, but the, the so in every every town that you basically have two teams in like the Chicago Cubs and the White Sox, one team would be a a white collar team and the other team would be a blue collar team. Oh, that's interesting. And, yeah, and and so how that came out to be, I'm not sure. But the the Braves were the were the blue collar team, and the Red Sox have always been the white collar team. Uh, and and if the the Braves actually won the 48 World Series. They'd probably still be here. But um, the, the Red Sox have blown a lot of chances to, to win pennants in World Series in, in the late 40s and, and early 50s. How about for the Giants and Yankees? Was, were the Giants the blue-collar team? That's a, that's a great question because you actually have three teams. Yeah. And, and I actually I think that uh it, it's a little bit different because you're you're specific boroughs in, in, yeah, in new york yeah. um unlike boston boston's a very small town um 
uh, I, I think you know the the obvious uh, choice I would I would make would be the Brooklyn Dodgers um, would be the blue collar team, but you it uh, that could also be the the, the Giants as well. Uh, but I'm not entirely sure. I, sure, sure. I sure. haven't looked into it all that clearly. You, you brought him up earlier, and I, it's pretty cool that you know him so well. Duke Snyder. Why is Duke Snyder so forgotten relative to his peers? Education, and, and not just education. It's it's you have uh, an entire generation now, the, the baby boomers, who are, are getting up there, and they're the ones who saw these guys. Play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my grandfather's generation, and in fact, my grandmother was a huge uh, baseball fan back in the 30s and then the 20s. Um, and so she got to see a lot of Cardinals play, um, and, and she could rattle off the names like nobody's business. Uh, and, and so the thing is, like, with it, the hobby is generational to begin with, and and what I mean by that is, is that um, we tend we tend to to collect the players that we know and like and watched, um, and, and that's that's been that's been that way for forever. You know. Um, sure. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So so when one one generation passes on, they don't exactly pass on their their love of a certain player. Or, or what has gone on in the hobby during their lifetime, uh, and and I think that has a lot to do with um, why we don't know a whole lot about the early days of the hobby, or or um, the the players who played in the past. Um, and, and fortunately, Duke Snyder was an amazing ball player, um, and and so are his peers, and. And uh, I think uh, Gil Hodges might be up for Hall of Fame consideration, and and he he should get a lot of love too. And and I don't think he, I don't think he, I don't think he does it. it it's a, it's a, it's an ongoing debate whether or not he actually belongs in the Hall of Fame. Personally, I think he does, but he is one of those players that gets overshadowed, and, and particularly in in New York, uh, the Big Apple, which yeah. you have three teams and then on those teams who do you have you know you got you got mickey mantle duke snyder and willie mays the three biggest players of the 50s and duke uh by far (laughs) i think mickey mantle out overshadowed the other two and especially duke snyder was number three uh, on that list unfortunately yeah, I mean, it's it is pretty crazy. And like I would say just like you talked about we collect players that, you know, we kind of watch or grow up with. I think that's true. I think that's, you know, and it, I think you're right, it's generational. I think that people pushing outside of that it's rare, you know, it, or it's it's different. I think we're seeing a little bit more of it now, but like for me, I just picked this this is getting returned because it was horribly pictured, but you know, this is like I'm looking for stuff like just from older stuff in the hobby. It looks great on camera, but there's creases all over this thing which was ah. Pictured, um, but like for me, because like I guess two things like one, I like the hobby, and so to me, like cards like this specifically tell the hobby's history, but then two, I like American history, and to me, these cards are very Americana, you know, and, it, and it's just kind of 
it's more than just collecting the players. I guess it's also kind of collecting for me, collecting like the story of whether it be, you know, uh, parts of American history or parts of football history, baseball history, basketball, whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so that, that's a great set. That's a, the 61 flare is a yeah. great set. It, um, that's, that's one of the sets that, uh, paved my way into college. So, oh, um, hey, there yeah, we go. <laughs> yeah, Good. yeah. And, and so, um, it, when I was, uh, when I was a kid, um, <laughs> uh, it was very cheap. And, and so a lot of the cards, a lot of the cards that I collected as a, as a teenager, um, like vintage cards, I could not afford today. And they're just too expensive yeah um, it's it's so crazy man when i think about the cars that have gone through these greasy fingers i'm like what did i do why did i sell those things you know like it, it, i can't explain to you how cheap it was 15 years ago if you weren't in the hobby then you you just don't know like it was just so cheap you, you could buy whatever you wanted you know bradshaw montana Namath. you know any certainly any football player you know you had your pickings of them i don't even know 15 years ago what a hank aaron went for but i mean it's i mean it's probably ludicrous if you looked at it now. Sure. Well, that's a funny. That's funny you say that because I I keep records on um, on the values of cards from from 1939 to now. Um, and back in me, I, I got all my all my Beckets uh, from the 80s all through, and Very then nice. I, yeah, and then so I I've I've seen what these cards have gone gone for, and. Um, this is such an interesting time in the hobby. I, I've never seen anything like it. Um, and because I think particularly because we have outside investors and it's being treated more like uh, Wall Street, if you will. It's I've been thinking about that a little bit more because like they talk about the hobby is going to blow up sevenfold, tenfold, whatever. But I mean, I think we all kind of speculate there's going to be a lot of outside money. But I think that we can see from the inside right now, there's a lot of money leaving, right? A lot of the people who were buying and selling a year ago aren't doing it now. You know, we've seen prices depress, you know, just overall across the hobby. So I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting to me to see all these industry, you know, these big, these industry dollars come in and are they going to come in for, for no purpose? Like, are they just going to be lost money to those companies? Because like, there's just not enough people around to support the level of, you know, industry support that's coming in. Um, or will it reignite some more? Um, interest in the hobby uh so it's a great question um and i'm gonna say that uh back in the early 80s and the late 70s you had you had uh baby boomers who were just getting back into the hobby who wanted to get back a piece of their childhood and they couldn't because the prices were so expensive and so through that you had tcma and a few other uh companies that were uh, reprinting like uh, 1952 tops and 53 tops and all that just for them, um, and and so there's there is a way to to uh, to collect without the big money, um, but it, you are going to at the same time you're you're going to scare away a lot of a lot of people as, as well if they see. The, if they can't get into it because there's so much money because these cards are so expensive and, and especially the, the packs and the, and the boxes. Uh, I think I saw somewhere there was a, a 2021 uh, box 
uh panini basketball basketball sure that, that was it was uh what four cards per per pack and it was like 1600 you got like maybe four four packs and it's 1600 I, yeah. bucks i mean it, it those hobby prices are just insane to me like i just i don't need it's just so ludicrous they're so hot i remember old man get off my lawn here 10 years ago, you know, I'd go to the card shop, I'd buy a box of uh, prestige football, you know, hobby for 80 bucks or 120, something like that, you know, and it's a cool, it was a cool set, you know, it was pro unis, it was paper cards, which I guess I've always kind of preferred paper cards. I, I don't know why, but just looking at what I bought, I, I do. And you get two autos and a patch or something, you know, 100, 100 bucks. But now, man, if you want to buy a box like that in the hobby today, you know, four thousand dollars. Who knows how much it's gonna cost? You me. you need a loan from the bank. <laughs> yeah, what. that's right. Yeah, you're gonna have to get the bank involved. That's absolutely correct. <laughs> I I um I don't see that the hobby is going to uh, crash anytime soon. I uh, I've only known one crash in my lifetime, and and it wasn't nothing went to zero. Nothing goes to zero. Yeah. It was it was the 1994 baseball strike, and, and that's what got me so angry i guess oh. that i i i was like that, you know what <laughs> i still wanted to collect and i love yeah. baseball so i i i went toward toward vintage um yeah so it, it's just th this hobby is it's ever growing it's ever expanding there's so many different facets to it um so many niches and uh, that that i don't think it's ever going to go away i just think it's going to continue to grow but but there are uh the, there are there are problems there are you know um with it you know with like i like, got like everything else you know it's not perfect yeah and i think that i mean it's different right so many people were mad at baseball for the 94 strike um but I, I mean, I see a lot of people talk about it with fanatics taking over. Hey, if this doesn't go well, I'm just going to stop collecting modern, you know, and maybe that drives a huge dip in well, ultra modern, modern cards, you know, current player cards, we'll say. And then people focus more on the on the vintage in the, the prior years. And, and that can that can happen. And, and the thing with, uh, with with that company is that somebody like Topps or maybe Panini or Don Russ or whatever somebody's going to uh, come up with a, a way that that's a monopoly at, at some point. Gonna, someone's going to file a, a, a claim against that company um, because we don't know, at least, you know, how many, how many actual sets are with who and what mm -hmm. um, you don't know really. Like, is there one manufacturer? Is there two? Is there three? And then on top of it, you have the the licensing rights. You know, if if uh, if, if Tops thinks that it's being pushed out of, of licensing by the the uh, the the major sports, then they can always go to the Federal Trade Commission or whomever and, and say like that's it. You know, I, we feel that you know our company is being targeted. You know, specifically. Um, through the through the uh, Sherman Antitrust Act or or whatever, I feel like that's going to be a hard argument for them. I mean, look, I don't know anything about that stuff, but I'm just if I'm you know uh, fanatics, I just go, you've been doing it for seventy years, and now it's yeah. you know, like I mean, that's this is the way the industry runs. They, you know? Yeah, they yeah, and so they tops is 
Tufts had a monopoly from like 1956 to, to 1980, and and uh, both Fleer and Don Russ um, approached uh, approached the Federal Trade Commission, and and they actually won their suit. But they had there was a lot of uh, a lot of civil suits from like 1948 to mm. to uh, to 1980, just on these these card companies. Um, a lot of shenanigans going on. So so uh, it's it, to me it's 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 fascinating. I, I try to put a little bit of uh, lo- the law into into the the hobby as well. Um, as, as you kind of read, maybe that that I'm all over the place uh, <laughs> yeah. when, when, it, when it comes to uh, to my writing. But you know, the thing is, like, I never know what what is going to happen um, in my research. Well, speaking of that, let me pull up the screen again. Sorry for radio audience, as they say, but you know, here's, you know, the, the 33 Gaudi article, but let's just talk about your process. I mean, these things are so in depth here. I mean, look, guys, look at this. This is, you know, 20, 30. Oh my goodness. You know, that looks like references, 43 pages of text. It looks like, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's kind of a small one. I got, I, you know, like the T206 is like maybe about 50. Gum. So, so, I mean, and this is, I mean, from what I've read, right. The two articles that I've, I've spent some time on, like, it's all good. Like, there's not like, oh, this is just such a waste of space, you know, with your writing and stuff like that. So, you know, let's, you know, take me through the beginning of your process, man. I'm just kind of curious, like what sparks you to write this 43 page, you know, love letter to 1933 <laughs> Uh Okay. So uh, that kind of goes back to, to, to my teenage days. Um, I, uh, I, I really didn't have a very good uh, education uh, in school. Uh, and the fact that I'm, I, I do have a, uh, I do have a disability, um, cerebral palsy. So, uh, right there that those two things, I kind of create a lot of, uh, a lot of anger in me, um, because I know I wasn't being educated correctly. And, and so, uh, one day I, um, I had a teacher that she wanted to teach us about math and, and problem solving skills. So she, there was a there was a card store right across the street from the school, and and so um, w- when I was there, I I saw like T two hundred fives and nineteen fifty one uh, tops and and all these these cards, and I was like, what the hell is this? And and so all, all my all my buddies were were uh, they were haggling over prices of like Bo Jackson and and, and the cards that I would have collected back in the late eighties. And and but I was fascinated about these cards, and and that's that's what set me off. Uh, you know, I wanted to learn more about the players and what these cards were, and so uh, and I wanted those cards too. Um, so uh, years go by, and and the baseball player strike happens, and I I just I got so fed up. I was like, screw it. I'm just going to collect vintage. And, and, <laughs> so and that's, that's what I did. So um, I, I really, I've always been a writer. I've, I've, I've written a couple of, you know, articles when I was a kid and then I just continued. Um, and I read a lot of stuff, a lot of newspapers um, since, since I was a kid. Um, and so I, that's what I really, I kind of really wanted to be. Um, and, and in the meantime, I, I took courses on printing. And so I actually, I went to school as a, a, 
for printing and 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 because of I think because of cards. I, I, I'm That's wild. Sure. That's really cool. So yeah. you know, like through that, you know, teaching and school and stuff. Like, do you understand? Like, if you look at a card like real close up, you can tell like part of the printing process and and what that looked like for them. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. cool. That's a so, neat little skill to have, especially in the hobby, man. Yeah. So, so uh, it was intentional. Um, and and so how I how I study cards um, specifically, I I um, I have a blacklight, a uh, a gram scale, and uh, a, a you know just a regular uh, magnifying glass and. The thing is, more the more cards you see, the more you're going to pick up on certain things, um, and, and such as the printing process itself. Um, now, with with writing and, and investigation, investigative journalism, uh, it's it's kind of like connecting the dots to to see what fits, um, and and it's it, damn, it's a hard process. It, it's, it sounds like. Difficult. As you can obviously see, um, not everything fits correctly, um, and you never know what's going to happen. So I'll have like three, three to four pages of notes for every one page, and sometimes I lose my place. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So it's it's um you 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 definitely have to to have. See, I'm not a, I'm not a fanboy of any sport, um, mm. or or uh, player, um, and I don't watch sports. <laughs> I don't watch any any current sports, <laughs> so because I I don't want, I don't want to be uh, swayed in any way, shape, or form by what I might write about somebody or or whatever. Um, and and so if if you can be impartial, uh. Goodness, that's hard to do, man. My that's that's dedication to it, being impartial. My goodness. Yeah, especially especially in sports. If you're a sports uh, journalist, um, and, and I, I I've spoken to a couple of, couple of other sports journalists as well, um, sports writers, and and they are not impartial. And it seems hard to be. I mean, frankly. Yeah, um, but. Um, and, and we've had the discussions over the years as, as to why sports sports writers get a say in the Hall of Fame process. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's flawed, uh, terribly flawed. Um, and just just for the fact is, you know, if I'm here in Boston, how can I vote on someone like Ken Griffey Jr. if I haven't seen him play on a regular basis? Yes, yeah, is someone from you know because you're from Boston, so you're the person that I hate growing up because like <laughs> I'm in Houston and I'm like. These riders never vote for Houston players because they don't care about Houston players. There are all these riders on the East Coast, and that's who they like. And, you know, I mean, that's the stigmatism from Houston anyway. Like, yeah. that's how we see the East Coast and the, the Hall of Fame process. And then when you look at, you know, Biggio's the first 3,000, you know, uh, hits guy, uh, not surrounded by steroid abuse or use, uh, that didn't get in first ballot. It's like, what what happened? Or except uh, Alomar didn't get in, but that's because he, what, punched that ref or whatever the hell it was. Spit on a uh, umpire, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, but anyway, that's just you know. So, so I agree with your, you know, you're thinking. I don't know what a better process is. You can have X players, but if you have X players, I mean, they're going to be super biased, right? You, you can't have these guys' peers voting on them. That seems and and there was 
And and yes, there there is there was absolutely bias in the in the baseball hall of fame back in the late sixties and early seventies because you see about seven seven ball players who are friends of Frankie Frisch, uh the, the Cardinals uh Hall of Famer, who uh got his buddies in the Hall of Fame. And some of those guys have absolutely no business. Chick Haffey. Chick Haffey is one of them. Chick, um, I, mean, I got I want to pull up some stats. What's his name? Chick? Yeah, Charles Chick Haffey, H-A-F-E-Y. Yeah, let me get this pulled up. Pulling up on Fangraphs here because I'm just curious. I mean, I don't know. I need to mem- I need to be a member of Fangraphs. Big fan. Oh my goodness! <laughs> what in the world? Well, he had some pretty solid years here in his prime. He had a but, pretty, man. He had a pretty good eight year stretch here, but that's not, you know, for baseball Hall of Fame purposes. In the 1920s and 30s, it's it's not it's not anywhere near what what it should be, like the um, average kind of deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Ross Youngs is another one. I think Jesse Haynes as well. I I counted about seven of these players who played with with uh, um, uh, what's his name? The Cardinals. Um, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. He just Frank, said his name. I, Frankie, I, Frankie Fresh. Frank Fresh. Go. The Fordham Flash. Yeah. And these guys had short careers too. Is this common back then in the 20s and stuff to have 10 year careers? Well, so there wasn't any, uh, the, you didn't have a pension until I believe the, the late 40s. Uh, you had to have 10 year career for a pension. Those guys, obviously, there was no Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame wasn't even a thought until 1936. And yeah. in 1930, what 39 or so, it, it was developed. Um, and plus, those guys all they they all had like uh, jobs <laughs> outside yeah, right. of as their sport. Um, so so it, you know for them it did it wouldn't have even mattered. A, a 20 career year career was unheard of. If you had like a 10 year career, you're you're awesome. <laughs> but you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, if you if you get on that field, man, you're you're an all star. You've made it, oh, even man. if it's one game. You know, you followed yeah. your dream, basically. There's um, I guess speaking about this like era, and we actually talked about Nap earlier. Nap was all, but like, uh, there's this pretty cool. I don't, I actually don't know what cha- it might just straight up be MLB, their YouTube channel. I'm not sure, but they do this like graphic where it tracks like the all time hits leader or wins leader or home runs leader you know, year by year. So you'll say 19, you know, you'll start at 1900 and it'll have like the top 15 guys, you know, from a career perspective and hits and it just changes over time. And it's pretty crazy how amazing, like a couple of guys were back then. Napoleon was one that stuck out. I think maybe, was he the doubles? Did he lead the MLB in doubles? He had something where it was just like bananas above everybody else. And then Walter Johnson, of course, was like that until Nolan Ryan showed up. And now when you look at Nolan Ryan and his strikeouts compared to everyone else, it's like, holy smokes, you know, like this will never be repeated. It's just crazy to me. There's so many names, so many great players, and, you know, some of them get forgotten here, there, whatever. It's amazing how amazing some of these guys were. I love love Nolan Ryan's cards. I love Nolan Ryan as a a pitcher. I used to watch him. Um, But what I didn't realize was how – how streaky he was when he first came up and, and when he was on the, uh, the Mets in the 69 yeah. Mets. Um, he wasn't the player that we all know today. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, he pitched with Tom 
Seaver and, and Jerry Kuzman, who is a, another great pitcher. Um, and and um, there's another guy, uh, Richards, uh, is a pitcher uh, um, on on the uh, uh, on the Mets. No, not on the Mets. On um, the Astros. R- yeah. is RC Jr. J- R- yeah. Yeah. Um, really too bad about him. Yeah. That's one, you know, my family, the reason I love the Astros and why baseball was really my first love. And it's because my family, my great grandma really had a lot to do with raising me. And she loved the Astros because, you know, she was born in 1922. You know, she grew up, you know, in in baseball's heyday and, you know, her family loved baseball, you know, it's just what people like. And so I kind of grew up with that. So I would hear stories about that because my family's been in Houston for a long time. And, you know, everyone talked about like J.R. Richards could have been one of the best, you know, and then he had, you know, he had an issue with his heart and he passed away early. He had to retire early too, I think, before he passed away. I don't remember now. Yeah. But um, yeah, we had actually him and Don Wilson was another, you know, all-star level pitcher that we had that passed away early. He he died from carbon monoxide poisoning uh, with a car in a garage. That's pretty sad. Wow. So yeah, bad luck for the Astros pitchers. We also had, you know. Daryl Kyle, you know, you know, bad luck, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, so before they were the Astros, they were the Houston Colt 45s. And, yeah. and, uh, that's, a, that's a fascinating thing right there. Just, Was that you know, that name, right? Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, they, the, the team itself. So in 1963, Pepsi came out with, with a, a set um, of uh, Colt 45s, Houston Colt 45s. And uh, John Bateman is, is the, the key to the set. And you might want to look up this guy. Uh, he's kind of, I wanna, I'm not going to say he's a nobody, but there's only five cards known. It's, it's one of the key rarities of, of, of the hobby. Um, I've only seen like two copies. Uh, I've not seen any in person. That's pretty interesting. So here's his numbers. Let me pull up. I'll pull up. Um, I'll see if we can find this thing. John Bateman Pepsi. Yeah, 1963 Pepsi. Um, Colt 45. You might not see it. I doubt yeah. it. I'll see if there's anything in sold history at all. Nope, nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um. It's it's one of the true rarities, uh, but if if you do see those cards, so there's a connection with that uh, with that set and tops because tops actually the design itself is from the 1961 set, mm. and Pepsi they used it with Pepsi, and, and you're gonna find that in, in all sorts of other cards as well. Um, I believe Hires Root Beer 1958 set is uh, I believe they they um, they had tops do that one for them um and that set that set itself was a um the design came from bowman when they bought bowman they got all their designs for the 1956 um uh year which didn't happen <laughs> um the top the tops year or the bowman year uh bowman so bowman yeah. was bought bought in i believe january or february of 1956 Okay. Um, so prior to that, they actually went out to like different cities, and they had a couple of mock-ups of uh, of cards that they were thinking of doing. Uh, so they went to like Chicago, they went to Boston, New York, Philadelphia, 
and they they talked to a bunch of kids and got their you know what they wanted on a card for 1956 and it never happened uh so so that's when funny. tops yeah so when when tops ended up uh buying buying out bowman uh they got all their designs and they used it and one of the designs they they um you can see it today in the 1957 uh football set is is um Actually, it was a Bowman design. And I, That's I a Bowman you... design. That's interesting. Yep. yep. It is so different. If you look at a 57 Tops, it is really significantly different than Tops football, than like what Tops had been doing. You know, that side by side, you know, it's not really something they had been doing. And then the the two stark colors, um, you know, for the most part, they were using one color or, or a gradient color maybe. But, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I didn't know that. That's really neat. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and so like I, I sent you a uh, an article, a, a long ass article about the about the nineteen fifty fifty nine fifty nine uh, tops. Yeah, t- I remember because I responded. Yeah, because I came back and said, "Why didn't you talk about Jim Brown?" He said, "Everybody talks about Jim Brown." Yeah, you know, I, I thought about that too. I was like, "Damn, I forgot about Jim Brown." But <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's some of the things that you know what I can't cover because of of time and and space. Um, I, I try to get to and and uh, other articles and, and and the funny thing is is so that those designs from from the uh, the mid to late fifties um, are mid century modern and I I went through that pretty extensively on how that came to be and there's a Nazi angle as as weird <laughs> as that be? <laughs> exactly you know <laughs> <laughs> oh, so. Man. Here, I'm gonna pull this up. This is, this is. I don't know what this is. This might be a little bit different, but just for everybody to look at, this is the '59 tops Jim Brown. I don't know what this. This I don't. This is the design. I don't know why it's in a weird case. I don't know what the hell I pulled up, but uh, <laughs> you know, this, these cards look so much better to me than like, you know, the '58 tops. But okay, and this is he. You know, Ryan did a whole article on this, but I, I got to stop now. Tell me, man, what is the tie to the Nazis? I, I gotta know. I mean, at this point, <laughs> you can't tease uh, oh, this. Okay, all right. So, <laughs> so the, the design is it's mid-century modern, and, and that there was in the nineteen fifties. They didn't really, they didn't call it mid-century modern, and that wasn't called that until nineteen eighty-four. But so, uh, I can't even remember what the guy's name was. I I, I can't pronounce it. Um, but there was. There was a guy who, a, an artist who taught other people at the, um, there was a, there was a Buhos or whatever, the uh, School of Design, and probably just School destroyed. Yeah, I destroyed that. I destroyed that. <laughs> but, but, uh, he, he, um, he taught a lot of other artists about design, uh, while he was there. And there was a few other designers there that when, when the Nazis came to power, they they just said, "Hey, listen, like if you want to show your artwork, like, you're gonna be a Nazi." And and you know, they a lot of them just said, "No, no way, get out of town." And and so they 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 closed the school and they took these guys' artwork and they displayed was the, it. Was the school in Germany? Yes, okay. yes, it was, and and so 
a lot of them fled Nazi Germany, um, and and some of them didn't make it, and a lot of their art didn't make it either. Um, and, and and so so uh, when they when they came, a, a bunch of them came to America, and they started teaching their designs uh, to to other people. And and one of the things. Uh, a lot of their a lot of their designs ended up on our cards in the 1950s <laughs> so <laughs> which which is really weird uh it's it, you know just a, a huge circle you know if you will you would never think of it but there's no. a lot of a lot of stuff that that happens in in the the production and design of of our cards that we really have no idea about and and you know the the people who you know who even even uh, made our hobby what it is today, like Jefferson Burdick. Um, he's he's really. If it wasn't for him, uh, we wouldn't have a hobby. And 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 what, what, he's very impressive too. Uh, Jefferson Burdick is uh, because he he was disabled uh, himself. Mm-hmm. He. Uh, um, he had he had uh i guess uh i can't even think of the name of it now um he he had like some physical disabilities uh that that um that he started to get uh in in his early 30s um and and so they were so debilitating that that he had to take uh um injections of cortisone on on a daily basis my goodness yeah, it was it was pretty, and he, he passed away pretty early in like 1963. Um, rheumatoid arthritis is what he had, oh. and and so he he said early on that that like he's like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have a family because of it. It's gonna get in the way. So he um he decided to to start <laughs> a hobby, uh, and and this is what he came up with. Um, when did he start that? When did he start collecting cards? So he started collecting cards in about 1909, 1910. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, the funny thing is, is that the British really founded the hobby. Uh, they're, they're very serious about it. They, they've always been. And, and as a way to teach the population. The I'm yep. gonna have guys. I'm retiring from the hobby. I can't do something the Nazis and the Brits did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just All right. So, so, uh, so what? What he he did was uh, he would he he started his own his own newspaper and his own publication, and he asked the people around the country, you know, if you guys know anything about these cards, you know, let me know. I'll, I'll research them for you, and then we'll we'll start a club. And and uh, and and so he he got uh, Lionel Carter, and Buck Barker, and Walter Corson, and Preston Arm, uh, and a whole slew of of uh, hobby pioneers, um, with them. And it took a few years, and you know World War Two happened. Um, but but uh, yeah, and, and he started. He, he founded the American. Uh, the the uh was the, the american card catalog in in 1939 um and from that uh we we have you know uh beckett and and all all the good stuff do you know is any of his collection or work in the smithsonian it it is actually in the metropolitan museum of art in new york oh, wow 
That's pretty amazing. His collection is the man. Yeah, but yeah. there's a few there's a few things that over the years have made it to way on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that happened. The Met needed money, I guess. <laughs> and they, they said we'll sell it through eBay instead of a proper auction house. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been I've been really um, against uh, auction houses for for a long time. Uh, I'm not a uh, I'm not a fan. Should say. And why is that? Uh, for a few for a few reasons. Um, you do end up having um, stolen stolen work on uh, especially you know sports cards and special sports memorabilia. Um, Just an easy way to like I guess sell it without your name being associated with it. Yeah, it it can be it can be kind of fuzzy. Um, yeah. Just the, the provenance of, of some of this stuff. All right, y'all. We had a little bit of uh, technical difficulties. We know that there might be a little bit of issue with the audio, but you know we just uh, worked through it. So, yeah. So we're talking about auction houses, and you, you know, you said you didn't trust them because you know people can kind of you know put stuff in there. There's no real provenance to, tied to them. Yeah, and and um, I don't think anyone from the auction houses are probably going to talk to me again after this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> but yeah, you um. There was uh, here in Boston. Just about every uh, institution that that has had artwork has been pilfered, uh, and, and 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 including the State House. So we we've seen we've seen uh, documents, um, uh, you know, that shouldn't be in an auction house at a at an auction house, and even Walter Johnson's uh, uh, opening day autographed baseballs have gone up for auction as well. Uh, which were in in the uh, the the baseball hall of fame. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, uh, his grandson Hank Thomas uh, had had, uh, had written about it. I think several years ago. That's I mean that's so wild. Um, well, it's interesting. So like his collection, well, it sounds like it's memorabilia too. Uh, are his cards authenticated or something are they encased somehow with his with his collection name on there uh so i i uh, i've written a little bit about this um and so you have you have certain um people who do have uh provenance i guess on yeah. the swab uh and i think i think you do not have jefferson burdick's name on the slab but um they there are certain cards of his that are that he um has um uh, I, I guess uh a stamp on the back and and so you're gonna find hmm. there's certain people who stamp their cards and he's one of them um uh buck barker um he used to write on his cards uh take notes and stuff and uh, so they won't, um, the, the grading companies won't authenticate Barker's cards as his. And I, I got into an argument, um, with one of the grading companies about this. <laughs> so, How did you, what do you, I mean, you call him out on Twitter, you call him on the phone. How'd you get an well, argument I, with him? I called him out in person. Oh my I, goodness. I, yeah. I, I um, <laughs> 
<laughs> the guy tried to throw me out of the, out of the show. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> so, I just can't imagine they were sitting there thinking, all right, we're at the show. And then this guy walks up. He's like, you want to authenticate Barker's cards? And like, what? what? <laughs> I mean, because they, they, uh, they, they authenticated Rhino Carter's cards. Um, and they refused to tell me when or when they did it. Uh, and I already knew that information because they had said it. 10 years before uh and, and it was through bill mastro and and, and doug allen ah. and and so they were being kind of sneaky about it yeah a little bit underhanded there yeah and then it, it you know i i had asked i had asked them if if you know there was something wrong with with the way that they <laughs> with the way they uh you know um authenticated autographs um and and they they said they don't they they didn't do uh they didn't authenticate or they didn't have an they didn't analyze the way somebody's handwriting was so then i was like how can you not do that but authenticate an autograph because basically what what you're doing is you're you're authenticating a card or an autograph based on somebody's handwriting and and supposedly they have a list of each player whose um autograph can change slightly mm. um so you know we don't know the entire process of how that happens yeah i actually had an issue with that i think i got the card right here i'm trying to pull it up but like um i i i graded a josh allen auto I had picked this specific card off of eBay because in my opinion, it was the best autograph. Now it's on a sticker and just a little bit of it touches the edge and a little bit have a, as a, a streak, but like this one, he signed his full name where a lot of them, he just kind of goes Jay Allen. And I was like, this is a full autograph, you know, and it's just a lot nicer. And then, so they gave this a nine and I was just so disappointed. I was like, how are you giving that a nine on the auto when this is like one of his best autographs and to your point that you just said they don't really study the autographs they just have mark, marks oh it touches the edge of the sticker you know it's not 100 percent on whatever it is and um so it is a little frustrating like i thought that the autograph process was a little deeper than that like they knew the autographs and said oh this is a nice version of his autograph but that's not how they look at it so so how much you know how, how much time are they spending on each card right yeah, no idea, man. Same as you. I mean, that's not, you know, they don't really go into the process, really. You know, you'll see SGC's talked about their process a little bit. So is HGA. But I mean, none of them have put enough together to say they're spending 30 seconds on a card or 30 minutes. Like, we just don't know. And and what's their background on on uh, authenticating documents? And Well, as far as I know, like, if you're talking about autos and stuff, you know, I just had a Beckett slab up. Beckett is, you know, kind of the way to go if you're going to look at that stuff. You know, that seems to be the preferred you know, option. And still to this day, even though like from a grading perspective in the 2000s, Beckett was preferred for grading cards. Now it's definitely PSA's preferred, but Beckett still is preferred in the, in the autograph space. Okay. I mean, P PSA is obviously the king of uh, grading. Um, yep. And, it, go, ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, something you, you've talked about a little bit, especially with some of these collections and stuff. I was actually doing a little bit of uh, shout out to Bobbles and Ball Cards. He did a video talking about the original grading and how all that kind of got started. It was pretty interesting. And, you know, based off of that information, I went and did some research on the Hannes Wagner, you know, the infamous, infamously trimmed card. And, you know, we forget about that card, who cares? But what I thought was pretty interesting, I read that 
trimming has actually been common with cards basically as long as cards have existed because people like maybe there was a word on a card that they didn't like so they just cut it off like maybe it was ogden cigarettes and they didn't really want the marketing so they would just cut off the ogden part right. and um i don't know man i guess people i don't know trimming is is such a bad thing and it is but this is getting to restoration what do you think about restoration in, in general i mean the are you just 100% anti-restoration or do you think it has a place in the hobby? I, I am, uh, as long as you state exactly what it is and what you did, I may be okay with it depending on the rarity of the card. But mm -hmm. the problem, the problem is, is that some, not everybody is honest. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't even really realize restoration was a thing. I had done some reading on it a few months back. And people got, oh, with some of the PSA scandals from who knows how long ago, 15, whatever. And then I was like, I don't know. Restoration really doesn't seem like a big deal to me. And I think I've kind of parsed it out in my head to say that if you don't add or take away anything from the card, I don't have an issue with restoration. Like, you know, I showed this and it's not going to show on camera, but the Jerry West 61 Fleer, there's a huge crease right here. If, look, I'm not saying this technology exists. I'm just saying if it did, if you could get rid of that crease without altering the card, you know, I don't see the issue with that. I mean, it wasn't printed with the crease. You know, it happened afterwards. Someone put a crease in it, and it's okay to take a crease out of it, I would think. But I yeah, so, so um, when I talked to Bill Mastro, uh, he, had, he had said that he, he knew a guy who could do that, could take creases out of cards. I had read that they could do that. I, I don't know how well it looks, but I, I had read that basically was steaming somehow. They could yes. take the crease out. Yeah, uh, there's there's all sorts of tricks and trades, and you get to look. These guys are professionals who are doing this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there was uh, <laughs> a few years ago there was um, a a probably a team of uh, um, autograph uh, forgers who were they were forging um, the uh, the signatures of players on T two O sixes and and nineteen thirty three Gaudis and and if you know about this they don't know who they are they never caught them but the the way um the only ones who the I, I should say the collectors caught them but the uh the authorities have not and these mm. it um it, i from what i know it's it may be still ongoing with the fbi i don't know but it's a it's a it is apparently it escaped psa and all the other grading companies that this has happened and we don't know how many cards this has affected or or people see i think about that man because <laughs> i could definitely see where there's a, a professional bad actor that wants to fake especially autographs but even cards and if they had like you had like a knowledge in printing and things like this i could certainly see where they get it through psa or beach or whoever and i'm not putting these companies under the bus i'm just saying like in general because like what your question was how much time do they spend with these cards they spend 10 minutes with the cards you have a professional bad actor like i can see where it gets through the process you know and so as good as you are as good as anybody is um and as long as you you know it doesn't matter how long you've been in the hobby you're going to get taken for a ride at least once I, <laughs> yours truly has and, <laughs> and, and, and uh you know the thing is as long as you learn from your mistakes right um and and read up and, and you, you know you're gonna be okay but <laughs> you this is now becoming a hobby that where 
you really need to research before you get into it. And, and I mean, like really research mm-hmm. what you want. And, and, um, it, it's not overnight. I, you know, I'm still finding out stuff and cards that I never knew existed before. And, 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 and that's probably one of the reasons why I stick around. Yeah. No, it's, it's pretty amazing. And speaking of that, like, what is it? The 61 Sporting Kings, I think. Like, they've got the nice Babe Ruth pictures and stuff like that. It may not be 61. Oh, 33 Gaudi Sport King? Is it? No, it's, there was, um, there's maybe Sports News or something. They did a set in the early 60s, which really nice, full photos. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, well, it I was just going to ask, like, because you, you mentioned that you're kind of on the, you know, well, not kind of, you're full on vintage cards, but what you mentioned the Pepsi stuff and the, and the root beer, you know, do you do oddball stuff too? Or is it strictly like, no, nah, it's got to be manufactured tobacco tops, et cetera. No, my, my oddball stuff. I have a lot of oddball stuff, yeah. a lot of regional cotton. And so as a side note, a lot of collectors will confuse, um, a a regular mainstream issue card for his rookie, like say Sammy Baugh. I'll give an example. Mm-hmm. Um, as the nineteen forty eight Bowman, and that's not correct. And it's and the matchbook. It's it's actually that it's the Dixie Lid Premium. Dixie but, oh, Dixie Lid. Yeah. yeah. But so so a lot of the cards in the nineteen forty eight Bowman set baseball set are not the the guys true rookies. Um, and, and it's, it's because of a lot of the cards are regional. So, um, you know what? I just skipped. What, what was your, what was your question? <laughs> well, no, I mean, you answered it. You, I was just asking if you do oddball stuff too. And you said, yeah. You, you, yeah. So I, I also, I also collect, um, I, uh, Hollywood cards of Hollywood actors. And I, um, from like the twenties the and the thirties. And, and, uh, so there's a, there's a set. Um, that I really like. Actually, two sets. Um, that the 1920 F&J Smiths Cinema Stars, um, which has uh, Fatty Arbuckle in the, in All it. right. Yep. Uh, and and Mary Pickford and Charles Chaplin. Man. Um, yep. And uh, in fact, let me see if I have it here. You can see. Uh, there we go. So that's yeah. one of them. Uh, and then there's a, a um, uh, John Player's uh, tobacco set from 1938 that uh, there's Jimmy Stewart uh, in it. And he's one of my favorite favorite actors of all time. <laughs> and, and he's a war veteran. And, um, and so I, I also collect uh, cards of, of ball players who have served in, in, in the war, in World War II and, and mm-hmm. World War I, and, and who have served their serve the country it's it's funny you mentioned that i just yesterday um well at time of recording actually it's tuesday the podcast i put out today uh i talk about roger Staubach and kind of my goat segment i just kind I of talk about, yeah so and yeah i knew he was in the military i didn't really know the full story there and it's just so cool because i remember man i and i you know it's just it's different man <laughs> cards up until the last maybe decade maybe less than that you could look at the back and it was cool. They had cool facts. It was interesting, stuff like that, so on, whatever. But I remember being little, looking at the back of cards all the time. And when you see that, like, you know, did not play military service, it's just so different. And like, you'll probably never see that again, right? I mean, that 
that probably will never be no. printed on the back of a card again. No, the, the, the country has changed so much. Uh, I mean, if you went back in time, say if, if you had a flying DeLorean and you, you hopped into like 1941, uh, it would it would be like you'd be going back to Mars or something. It'd be a completely different planet. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know about the technology. You wouldn't know how to, a lot of times you wouldn't know how to operate it. I mean, if you think about it, a, a rotary, how many people today know how to operate a rotary phone? A few. Very yeah, few. yeah. So, so my my point being is that is that the society has changed so much. Um, you, you know, I'm in. Um, I guess I'm a millennial, and I think that my generation is the last one that will know, and a lot of them won't because I think millennials run up to like ninety four, ninety five. My my generation, at least people in my generation, will be the last ones to know what it's like to live without the internet. You know, I remember being, you know young and not having the internet and you're like we had encyclopedias and you look stuff up you know and it's just yeah. like it there's just been such a change to the way the world operates you know and everything it's just like yeah there's no i mean there's no going back you know yeah even 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 our our, our sports cards and how we view sports cards has changed completely you know my, my grandmother she was uh she was a world war ii vet uh she worked she wow. was with the, she, the oss yeah right for forerunner of the cia Dang, um, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. She she and Julia Child, they they worked together and, and over what? in the CB, yeah, over in the CBI theater. Um my so, goodness. Yeah, so so my, my point there is that there was such a disconnect between the both of us. Um because of the generation, there's a generation gap. Uh she she did like baseball, she loved baseball. Mm -hmm. But she she didn't understand my passion for sports cards <laughs> at all, and yeah. it caused it caused some issues uh, between the both of us. Um, but so that's you know I guess that's neither here nor there. But it's just it's just the fact that you know each generation has has uh, their different views on a subject uh, like sports or politics or Everything. religion or whatever the case may be, uh, you know? Yeah. You know, uh, well, just talking about cultural or I guess cultural, I guess the culture changes. We'll say cultural differences over generations, but like, you know, I did some time in the army or whatever. And I just, I mean, you know, you look back and you look at how soldiers were celebrated back in the day, you know, it's crazy, you know, parades and stuff. Now they did world war two. It's way different. You know, it's way different, but every, you know, I guess probably ever since Vietnam, you know, there's been this kind of, tension between the American population in, in the, the military. But when I got to help out in Houston, you know, Hurricane Harvey was real bad and I was living in Austin. So I got to, you know, I'm from Houston. I got to come home and help. It was just way different because like the community wanted us there. They were so yeah. happy to have us there. And then they, they celebrated us, you know, having us, there. they, you know, we lost electricity for forever. So they were outside where we were living and like cooking food for us and stuff like that. And it was so nice. And it was just like, I remember thinking then I was like, this is must, this must've been what it was like like coming home from World War II or something like that and, be, you know, being celebrated as you came home um, versus a lot of what you've seen over the last, I guess, 40 years now. Yeah. And so, um, so the, you know, so the funny thing is, is that uh, the sports card, I shouldn't say sports card companies, the companies that issued sports cards, like say in, in Britain, they would issue like boxing cards to, to their soldiers, to the soldiers going over to uh, France, to teach them how to box, 
Um, and then, so, huh. and, yeah. And then, so in America, you had uh, a, at least one set that I'm, I'm aware of. Um, I can't remember the damn name. But Desert Shield? No, well, that's another one I'd like to get to. So you had one set in, in uh, I believe, 1910, where they, they gave to the sailors over in, in the South Pacific. Oh, that's was, pretty cool. I didn't yeah. know about it. Was it similar? Like it had boxing tips or was no, it? No, it was baseball. Just baseball? That's interesting. It, yeah. And then so so with, with uh, Desert Storm, that set I remember. Uh, I don't remember actually having it. Uh, the, I don't know anyone who had it um, at the time. I remember it afterwards. Um, so so according to lore, and I'm going to be writing a huge story about this one um that that set was uh is you they only had two thousand sets or i don't know i think it was four thousand sets and of desert think, shield yep and and only two thousand <laughs> because they couldn't take anything with them they had to burn everything yeah um, i mean i wondered about that because i I actually did a little, not, I mean, nothing crazy. I just did a little bit of reading and how it was interacting. I actually, my dad was in desert storm and I asked him, he doesn't give a shit about sports. You know, I don't know where I, I don't, I certainly don't get it from him, but you know, I asked him, I was like, do you remember seeing people with cards and stuff on base? He's like, yeah, I remember it. You know? And it's just, it's weird for me to hear him remember that. Cause that's not something he would have been looking for or even cared about. Yeah. And so, but then I remember how I, when I came home from my tour and I was just like, you know, <laughs> you ain't got room. <laughs> where are you going to put this stuff? You know, how are you carrying this stuff home? Yeah, they they um they burned everything before they left, and and Man. and whatever whatever um was left over is what we have. So if if there was any set from the junk wax era that you wanted to get in on, that probably would be it. Um, yeah, yeah, I think they only did it for Top Series One that year. I don't think they certainly didn't do it Top Series Two because Bagwell's in Top Series Two. Bagwell's my boy. He's yeah. from Boston. You might know. So yeah, and, uh, he um. And he doesn't have one. Otherwise, I would already bought that. I did want that, but he he doesn't have one. Yeah, so. the the the, uh, the Chipper Jones is the the biggie in that in, in yeah. that set. But I mean, as far as historical, um, you know, his, history goes. As far as history goes, that is a pretty historical set. Um, and and I, I would say there's there's other historical sets if you're just looking at at, at history in general. General, uh, the 1938. Um, uh horrors of war set is is pretty historic well i find this on ebay yeah you should it's it uh yeah i'm pulling it up oh this is neat well i guess i shouldn't call it neat but you know <laughs> this is 13 bucks yeah i mean these look like little painted cards they they absolutely are man that's pretty cool yeah and then let me go Okay, so this one says the Italian conquest proclaimed, and it's just a little bit to know the horrors of war is to want peace. And I guess that's, you know, actually, you know what? I ran into these cards like a month ago. I saw one with a soldier who was, he was a, he was a pilot, and he was in the water. And I remember reading the back of it, and I actually wanted that card because I thought it was a cool card. It, it sounded very much like the story of George Bush Sr., and I thought it was pretty interesting. So um that's yeah, it. he, pretty neat yeah he, he's got a he's got a he's got a great story great wartime story bush um, senior yeah oh yeah it's amazing yeah yeah um so so you know that that set um you have adolf hitler in that set 
Dang. And there's another set I came across that has H.G. Uh, Wells in it and Benito Mussolini from, I believe, 1926 or 1928. Um, so, you, you know, before, I guess, before. Mussolini was Mussolini. Yeah. I, I, I guess. Um but but there's also there's also other sets that that you might not know have like a historical bend to them. And and one of them is the, the nineteen thirty three uh tattoo orbit uh baseball set. Um and and that that actually was um a, a William Wrigley set. Like it came with Wrigley gum? It, yeah, it was a subsidy of of Wrigley Company. How does that let me pull it up? Well, that's pretty neat. And then these look a lot like Gaudis. A, a little bit, yeah. But a little bit different, I guess. You know, it's a similar size. You know, for someone who's used to modern cards, you know, it's like the same size. And then you've got a profile. You know, you've got the player there, but the design is pretty different. They just happen to be like the same size, and the back's way different. Very plain. These are interesting. Um, I wanted to ask you too. Did you have another set you wanted to talk about? Uh, not I. Not like there's a lot of sets, but it's <laughs> too many. Um, I want to ask you too. You, you had talked about it earlier the idea of provenance in the hobby. I mean, do you think that something is worth pursuing for the hobby? Uh, it, it depends on the person, and, and what I mean by that is, if somebody is looking for uh a famous person who collects cards and is selling their collection and has mm-hmm. has the uh the you know usually now these cards are graded right so if they have the flip that has the name the name of the person i i can see somebody going after uh, after uh a famous person's you know collection well, based, like- based on it like the Gretzky Gretzky, right? He had his own rookie card, right? I think he had two of them, I think. I might be wrong. Uh, okay. Yeah, so uh, so it, for me personally, I try to I try to go after um hobby founders uh sports cards. Mm-hmm. It, it ain't easy. <laughs> but <laughs> I believe you. Yeah. But do you have any? I do. I do. Um want to show one off if you got one with a stamp or something. That'd be pretty uh, cool. Unfortunately, I tried to look for it. I don't know where I don't know where All I right, put no it. worries, no worries. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I, I can't find it, but but I do have a few. Um, uh, Frank Nagy, uh, another another uh, guy who uh, is pretty pretty influential in the hobby. He um, he bought his card collection, which rivaled that of Jefferson Burdick, over three hundred thousand cards. Um, he bought his from his collection from. Uh, Walt Corson, who I had written an article about, um, and and so uh, Walt Corson was was dying basically, and he wanted to get rid of his his collection. And he, he as the story goes, he he Nagy filled the the car up with so many cards that it it broke the springs of his of his car. <laughs> and, oh my goodness! Yeah, and his wife almost divorced him because it. <laughs> <laughs> because uh he he unloaded the bank account <laughs> oh my god and, and so so um providence actually especially with the the t t206 uh wagners that's very important that 
Um, personally, for me, I there are certain cards that I would not buy that are not graded. I, I would not buy them raw, and, and either for the rarity of the card or or the value, the price. Um, and and so like obviously a T two S X Wagner is is one of those cards, but if someone's gonna buy a Wagner, it's it's not because they're buying Honus Wagner. It's because it's it's all about ownership. Hey, look what I have. You know, it's 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 just you have like what fifty eight cards known, right? Yeah. Um, there is there is a uh, a great um, book called D Card uh, on that on that Wagner that that um, Gretzky uh, bought. It's it's um, fantastic read. I highly recommend it. Oh yeah, he bought the trimmed Wagner, didn't he, Gretzky? Yeah, and he, he had uh, instant regrets afterwards. Um, I think uh, McNow, McNow went to jail for a little bit um, a- afterwards for an unrelated charge. And, and then um, um, Bill Mastro and, and Doug Allen went to, went to prison as well for trimming the card. So Was that recently? Uh, no, oh, kind of, like within the last... They got released within the last uh, couple of years. Yeah, it must have been because I saw maybe something like in 2018. They were somebody did an interview with Bill, and that must have been yeah after their his, their release or something maybe. He he was uh, he was the king of uh, the king of it all for for a while, and he was very well respected in, in the hobby. And it was just it was just through I don't know greed, I, I guess, or that he did what he did, um, and. A lot of people don't think that that's a you know a legitimate way to spend time in prison, but it's fraud is is what it is. Yeah, I mean when you talk about these dollar values, you know, I mean it's a white collar crime. There's no question. And was was Bill? Did he do restoration too? Not like trimming, but like yeah. I mean you mentioned that he knew guys who right yeah. that could do restoration, like with creases and stuff. Yeah, I I don't know if he actually did any <laughs> quote unquote restoration. But he did trim the card, I think, twice. That card in particular was said to have come out of a um, a, a, sh- a full sheet of T206. Now, the way I see it is that if that sheet, if there is actually a sheet, that sheet would have been worth a lot more than anything in the hobby. I mean, I mean, you could probably just write your you know say your price at that point right now if you had a legit full sheet of t206 right now or or basically any tobacco cards we know of like i think one sheet of of uh 1909 oback um wow but but uh yeah and that's a that's a great minor league set um the, the pacific coast league is, is basically considered the third the third league um a, a major league and, and maybe someday mm-hmm. they'll, they'll recognize it as such but um it would have it would have uh, solved a lot of uh, questions that that historian sports card historians have have had over the last decade or so, um, even even going back further, um, and 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 so it's it's really too bad if that's if that's the case, and it looks like it it probably is um, that these cards are trimmed, and, and he trimmed it twice, and knowingly. How? So. I've been wondering about this. I told you I've been reading about this a little bit. How in the hell would people in 1991 know if a T206 was trimmed? 
I mean, where would they have gone for reference to know what? Forget about like the actual, you know, edge, right? Let's just say he did it so well you can't tell from the edge. Where would they go to know what the measurements of the card were supposed to be? To know if it was or was not within, you know, its its, uh, regular limits. Okay, so that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. So (laughs) the the dimension. This is a little bit tough, um, but the dimensions of of the print the print uh, printing itself the the sheet itself mm-hmm. you you know what the dimensions of the print the the uh, the the press the print the printing press the printing press is uh and through that they know what the the um the dimensions are and and what they can only be and they can only be one certain size now we do have reference material basically or essentially on a, on a, a 1909 OBAC sheet. Uh, I mean, that, that set is from, from California. It's a little bit different, but um, we, know what the, we know what the dimensions are. And we also know um, for, for the cards themselves, they had, to be a, they had to have been placed in the tobacco package themselves. And we, we do know um, that, that one brand, uh, American Beauty, um, was deliberately trimmed by the um by the factory to um, fit it in the packs exactly exactly um but they they kind of give a little bit of leeway for those cards um but you can you can tell it, um if a card's been recently trimmed and, and probably within the last 20 years because it's going to look different um and and some guys can do it, and I, I can't. But I I do know collectors that can feel the weight of the card and know that it's meant, off. I thought you were saying trimming. I was like, you gave it a try, huh? And you said, nope, I'm not doing no. it right. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. No, but you know what? Um, so so PWCC has been caught up in this as well. Yeah. And and you know. I, th- I think I think at some point they, someone's gonna have to come clean uh, on that, um, but they they've been linked to to trimmers, um, and which I I really I really would love to know everything about that, and and, and so um, I I think that you can you can tell certain cards have been trimmed you know uh, actually looking at the like where it would have been trimmed yeah it, and it, it it it'll take an eye for for a certain individual who who knows what the card should be and 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 all, and all, honestly like the more cards you see the better off you, the more you're going to see the stuff but you actually have to see it you have to go to shows you have to yeah. interact and 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 you can't do it through a through the internet. Uh, well, it's very see, tough. And that's why I'm curious about, especially with this Wagner. You know, it's you know PSA zero zero zero. It's the first card they grade. And I mean, my question is just thinking like, okay, I understand we look at it now and that's bad. If I went back thirty years, who knew how to spot a trimmed card? And the the answer may be everyone knew. I I I legit don't know. They, like, how did they know? So they they knew trimmed? because there was before and after photographs. Oh, where'd they get the photographs from? 
I actually forget. <laughs> oh, but, okay. All right. But you'll have to, you know what? We got to wait you'll, for it. You'll have to read, you have to read the book because it's okay. in the book. Okay. Um, All right. Fair enough. And, 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 and like, yeah, I mean, um, the guys who wrote that book, they went through it pretty well. My only, um, the only drawback to the card, the book, is that they should have um, they should have written what happened afterwards, um, you know, and they didn't do that. There's no follow up with, like, with the convictions and that stuff. Or? Exactly, exactly. And um, that's in the book called The Card, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna have to uh, check it out. I believe uh, Terry. I believe Terry O'Keefe wrote it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty wild. Um, the, well. It doesn't sound like you're particularly pro grading, but you said you only buy some cards, you know, if it's graded already. So, I mean, do yeah. you, is most of your collection raw, or you know, do you try to get stuff encased? So, ninety percent uh, of it is raw, mm -hmm. um, and then I don't buy the I don't buy the the grade per se, or the the um, the the uh, grading company. I buy the card. Uh, That's it. Yeah. yeah. And 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 so, so I I if it's a player I want I really want for my collection, um, and I can't if I can't I, like Mickey Mantle, <laughs> uh, he's he's not the easiest guy to get in a in a high grade yeah. or or something that's really might, cheap might literally be the hardest guy to get in a high grade. <laughs> yeah. So so if if uh, if there's like a a fifty-six tops mantle out there that's in a, a a three. I'm gonna go for the three, and and just because, just so I can say I have that card, and yeah, it's it's about ownership, and and um a lot of a lot of this stuff has to do too with with uh uh finding a card. It's it's a you know what I'm saying. It's, it's the the um the hunter gatherer. <laughs> Yeah, there's, you know, there's not so, well. I, I'm buying a lot of like true vintage, but there's not. You know, when you look at the '90s and past, there's not a lot of stuff that's like hard to find. But I am looking for one card. It's 1991 Mother's Cookies, Jeff Bagwell, and that card is just impossible to find. I mean, it's just never, it's never available for sale. If someone would list it, I'd pay a hundred bucks. You know, recent sales are were like ten dollars. I'd pay a hundred, but it's just never for sale. And and you know that that brings me to like a. A very interesting um, topic is that a lot of the, as I found, a lot of these stars are out there. Like, you're going to see a lot of like 19, um, 50, 52 tops mantles. Mm -hmm. You're going to see a lot of the higher names. The the true rarities in a lot of cases are the the lesser guys. It's the, the you know your your average ball player. Um, say like in a in perfect example is 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 your your nineteen fifty three um, Johnson Cookies Braves, uh, and you would think that that you know the the um, that set actually has uh, what's his name um, uh, Hank Aaron's rookie. Right, so Hank Aaron's rookie, isn't that? And you would think that that that's the key to the set, and well, it is, but it's not the only one because um, uh, Bobby Thompson is also a key in that set, 
And is that his rookie? Bobby Thompson? Yeah. No, but what he did was he broke his ankle, broke his foot, uh, and that, that led to, to Hank Aaron being called up. And, and so mm. that's a short print card in the set. Oh, I see. They basically switched it out real fast as they were making yeah. cards. Oh, that's interesting. But a lot of a lot of the uh, a lot of the key cards, the rarities are are not going to be your Ted Williams, or even your Babe Ruths, but it's going to be the, the lesser lesser players, or the guy, especially especially in tobacco too, because they're always switching out, um, uh, I guess brands, right, for other brands, and they're stopping, they're stopping different uh, cigarette brands. And inserting others, so mm. you, that you, that's why you're seeing a lot of a lot of like players who have like maybe three or four different brands, but you can't find all of the sixteen brands because they don't exist. Right, that's crazy. And well, going back to the tobacco, I actually I wanted to ask this question when we were talking about it, like the you know t whatever any tobacco. I mean, all that stuff had to have been hand cut, right? Maybe it could have been industry hand no. cut. No, okay. It, so. So the um no it wasn't hand cut they what they had they had cutters, uh and in fact in in my article on the T two S six I I actually show show people the the factory the building that it, um they were printed in, uh and the equipment that they used, <laughs> and uh, wow, that's yeah, pretty great. Yeah, and and a lot of a lot of the stuff kind of like. Afterwards, you know, when I when I complete an article and I look look over it again, um, I, I kind of think to myself, like, damn, like you're a nerd, like who who like, <laughs> who? Oh uh, my goodness! Yeah, like some of the stuff that I read, like I I can't believe that I read that, and like who in their right mind would would ever like think that, you know, to to read like a a, a you know, printing manual, or or in in one case, uh, I, re I read the the United States government's uh, case against uh, the American Tobacco Company uh, from from head to toe, and and I even um, found the guy who wrote it, and and wrote about him, and and so like, I tell you, if if anybody's out there who is looking to get out of a bad date on a on a first date, just. Just talk about like vintage sports cards. And, and, like, it's an easy know, exit, huh? Absolutely, hundred percent. Not that I've tried it, you, you understand, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like that's what I've loved about your articles. You know, again, the the, I guess two that I've read now is well, we'll say one in a tenth, but is you go really deep, and I, I think that's so interesting. I mean, that's. To me, I mean, your articles are really amazing. They're really uh, immersive, I guess is the right word. You know, it's just, it's, you really do a good job of, of putting us back and kind of thinking that way. And I love, you know, the 33 Gaudi. Again, I just kind of read through some of this. You start off with a story, and I just, uh, from Elwood Scharf, maybe. Yep. And it's just a, a phenomenal story. I mean, it's just such a great story. And it's a short story, y'all. You know, everybody go check it out. Like, it's, you know, it's eight sentences or something, but it's just such a good story and it's a good story about the hobby. And I don't know, man, I, I think your writing's phenomenal and yeah, it's definitely deep. And most people I don't think would read any of these articles in one sitting, but it's a like a phenomenal thing. If you want to go learn about some sets, I mean, he's got some great stuff here. Ah, thank you very much. Thanks. And you know, 
um, the, one of the reasons why I, I really enjoy what I do is, is because I, I really couldn't find any of that stuff out there. It's, it's, it's really, there's a lot of, a lot of history of the, the hobby is lost basically. And, and I'm, I'm trying to like get that back and teach other people. Could you say then you're less journalist and more historian? Uh, yeah, you can say that. Well, do you do something beside? Well, at least from what I've seen on the website, it's you know basically been a deep dive into some of the hobby's history. I mean, do you write stuff on the side, or is there stuff written in there as well that's about more modern events and, and things happening? I I do uh, I do research a lot of research uh, with other with other writers as well, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm um, I'm attached to a couple of other organizations, um, mm -hmm. especially with football and baseball, um, sure. SABR being one of them. Um, and, and oh, I did read that. Yeah, I read yeah. that. Yeah, you were saber. I thought that was pretty cool. So they they do a lot of deep dive research. Yeah, uh, and they're probably some of the best writers I've ever seen in my life. I, I hands down, like they kind of blow me out of the water. Um, but they're they're a very dedicated uh, group of people. Uh, and, and and so yeah, you could say that I'm 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 a hobby historian I, I guess i i just I'm, i don't see a lot of the stuff on the internet to begin with I, I don't see nobody really talks about it on youtube no this the what from what i've read about your stuff this stuff doesn't really exist you may find tidbits here and there like in a blowout forums if you google specifically for something but you know in a, a, a con you know we'll call 43 pages condensed in the condensed <laughs> format of reading you know you don't you don't see it but other than no. what you have i mean what you have is is it but outside um of that. i i'm just i'm kind of trying to 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 uh pick up where where uh, lionel carter left off um back in back in the 40s and 50s and 60s i, I think he had something like a 70 year career in the hobby wow and, and yeah and and his his articles are really fantastic um a lot of a lot of what we know today is is because of him and and Jefferson Burdick and a lot of those guys. The only thing is that a lot of their a lot of their uh, articles are are missing, um, or they're not they're not in any one place where where people have access to, and and that's a that's a problem. I, I get well for me it's a problem, but <laughs> yeah, for you it's so difficult. Yeah. <laughs> but but for funny. for someone who wants to to learn about the hobby and 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 maybe become a writer themselves, like I didn't go to school for this. Um, this is all because of the hobby. Yeah, yeah let's I'll talk about that a little bit. I mean, if you don't mind, I mean, you talked about no, I don't you know, mind. School was difficult, and you went over. You saw the you know cards; they were different than what everybody else was trading. You talked about a little bit what drew you there, but what kept you there? I mean, why did you stick with cards for you know all this time now? Uh, that's a that's a question. I'm not that that's <laughs> such a that's such a tough question to ask uh, or to answer, I should say. And it was easy kept, to ask. <laughs> it's easy to ask. It's hard to answer. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to answer it. So uh, for me, it's 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 really about. You know my love of sports and my love of history, and what I really wanted to do is is be a writer and and an artist, and I, you know, nothing for me is easy. 
because okay. because of the, the cerebral palsy and and um you know i always say like the the hardest thing that i have to face is gravity and and like <laughs> when it comes to cerebral palsy like um and it's it's uh it's very humbling uh for me but a lot of people have said like no you can't do this no you can't do that you can't you know and uh, if you all you hear is no 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 or you can't you can't you can't some people they tend to believe that uh and, and it really holds them back and and what i say is that you know the only thing that can hold you back is is you like that's it and and if something gets in your way uh, you know if you uh, it's you know you you just have to learn a different way and and get you know go find another way to get around whatever it is that mm -hmm. you can't supposedly quote unquote can't do i i don't really believe in can't um i just believe that it it's you know we all learn differently and and, and we all kind of like struggle through this life like as, as the best we can and there's no there's no right way or wrong way yeah fair enough right so so what has kept me going you know I'm, I'm always trying to strive to be better a better writer a better artist and and you know a better collector card collector um and and i i'm very um i'm very surprised at what i've can do and what i've achieved um looking back on it if you were to say uh, to a 16 year old me hey someday you're going to be a writer someday you're going to have a great card collection um you know i, I would have been like dude you're nuts you're crazy <laughs> but no way yeah you know and and and, and a, a lot of the a lot of that comes from reading uh jim beckett's books his magazines his his articles um and when you say a lot of that a lot of the the passion for writing or yeah 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 i'd say i'd say and and not only that um you know growing up i uh i used to be in the science fiction quite a bit and and sure i still am um and in fact i'm writing a, an article about ufos right now which is hey. <laughs> Which is, you know, different, <laughs> but but uh, it's it's in regards to science a science fiction um, uh, set that Bowman came out with in 1951, and and so uh, it it's it, it's the the passion that I guess everybody everybody has or some people have for the for the, the hobby because you, you never know what you're going to find you know you never know what you're going to see um uh, but i try to i try to to uh I, I guess learn as i go because honestly like i deck like i don't know everything and, and this is this is why this is why i, I <laughs> which is good you don't want to know everything no absolutely because life would be boring where i honestly think we're lucky to be in this hobby this is a hobby where you can explore it infinite number of ways you can do well you can make money you can you know be happy building a collection there's a, a million different ways to to take our hobby on and sometimes i think about like i have a sister and she's a you know seven years younger than me 
And, you know, she's a little bit entrepreneurial like I am. I, I can't help it. And, you know, like I just do it with cards. I'm like, this is what I've always loved, you know. And then like for her, I'm like, well, what have you always loved? You know, she asked me for advice and stuff like that. You know, and it's hard for some people to answer. But when you have cards to go back to and now I was thinking about this today. When I grew up in high school and stuff like this, you know, no one had cards. It was it was dead. It was me and my best friend. And that was it. We were the only one with cards. I mean, literally no one else had cards. And so many people now say that these prices for boxes in particular are going to strangle. You know, it's a bad it, it's going to keep kids out of the hobby. And I was thinking about it. I was like, you know what? I, I couldn't afford a, a, an $80 box when I was a kid anyway. You know, what, whether it's $80 or 1000 doesn't matter. What's cool is now everyone's doing it. You see it on social media. You see it with big influencers. You see it with tech billionaires. And so to me, the exposure the hobby has gotten has made it cool. And I actually think about I, This is a thought that I just had today. I think that it may actually help bring more kids in, regardless of the price of boxes, because on top of that, you, so much trading is done through Instagram, Facebook, eBay, all this stuff. You know, you can buy the singles you want for pretty cheap now. Yeah. Um, I I think it can go both ways and because it has in the past. Um, it can keep people out because because of the money, but it also can draw people in because of the money. Um, and the, yeah. yeah, and, you know, that wasn't Jefferson Burdick's true intent when he started the, the hobby. He didn't. He didn't like uh, the fact that people were buying and selling cards uh, that they they actually were were uh, worth money. He understood that you know there was a financial aspect to it, a component to it. But um, he he and uh, you know Buck Barker was the same way. They they did not like uh, what they saw and and. Um, when it came to the values, the high values. And then when I talk about high value, I'm talking like 1962, you know, T206 were going for like 25 cents each, right? So, <laughs> but, and, and, and you know what the funny thing is? When I started collecting T206, I was probably 16 or 17, and I could pick up those cards for like five bucks, right? So, so like now they're, they're just, they're a lot more money than five bucks. You, yeah. you, and 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 I can I can see I can see that like you know um, the the kids might say like you know that's that's uh, I I can't do that, but I will I will tell you a quick story. Uh, I was I was at a I was at a card show um, a while back and I saw a deal between a dealer and this. He must have been twelve years old. And the way he, he the dealer said, or the, the other the, person, the, the collector. Okay. So he, the collector, the kid was like, "I need, I need X, Y, Z for this card. I need this much for this card, and that for this card." And he was so professional about it. He was very straightforward, and and the deal got done. I think it was like six hundred and fifty bucks, right? As a as a twelve year old, and I'm thinking like the whole time. First off, like I'm very impressed with that kid, and then second off, when I was that age, there was no way, absolutely no way that I would ever been able to 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 do that. You know, it was it was frowned on. You couldn't do it. Yeah, it's it's just so different. But see, I think, and that's what again, you know, I'll praise the hobby a little bit. 
I think that's a great avenue that it's giving kids to learn those negotiation tactics and to learn even networking, building, you know, uh, interpersonal yeah. relationship skills and, um, you know, just the ability to think quick on your feet. Now, I think there's a lot of good things about the hobby and the way it's gone. That is, even if kids, this is going to sound bad, even if kids lose money in the grand scheme of things, I yeah. think they're going to learn a lot. There's going to be a lot of left life, life lessons kids are going to learn out of this era of sports. Cars. I, I learned, I learned a lot through through the Boy Scouts, and I learned a lot through the hobby outside of school. My education was trash. Um, and I had a few good teachers, and, sure. you know, but for the most part, uh, I learned economics through sports cards and, and through Roger Babson. Um, and he was an economist here in Boston. And, and he, between the both of them, they're very influential uh, to, to me. Um, and, and and the, you know the thing is like so I remember the days before the internet and and you know going to to a library just oh, man it was brutal <laughs> it, was, it was just it was absolutely horrible um and and so like I, I mentioned I mentioned this stuff in my articles and 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 so um <laughs> just the the way that reach research is done is is a lot different now. I've gotten a second, a second life, if you will, through sports cards in in terms of my own education, and it's it's really kind of like um, shed away a lot of the the the, the anger and the the hurt over <laughs> over a bad education that yeah. it never it never should have happened, and, and hopefully it doesn't happen to anybody else. I mean. But, no, man, I feel for you there. And I'm glad to hear this you know, great story that you're having because like, that's what I like about the hobby too. You know, we talked about learning life skills and it gives, you know, men, <laughs> people, I guess, I don't want to say men. I, I do a lot of studying like what it means to be healthy as a man, you know, it's a little bit different, I guess, but you know, you, you need to have some purpose. You need to have some drive, something that you're working to that you think you're, you're doing something better in your mind, either for you or your community or your family or whatever it is. And the community, the hobby is such a big community and there's so many different pockets. There's a lot of things that you can kind of set out and do to, you know, really put your mind forward and, and get better at things. And I mean, just like you with your writing, you know, me with my YouTube, that was a big thing. Like I, I just wanted to help people and it gives a little bit of purpose there. And that's kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, you never know who, who you're going to meet, but you also never know who, who you're going to influence as well. I guess um, yeah, with your with either your writing or your YouTube. Um, for me personally, uh, the last two years have really sucked in, as as far as COVID is concerned. Sure. Um, the a lot of people have have either lost their jobs or they're having a hard time making um, ends meet, mm -hmm. and and so they're. I guess a lot a lot like my grandparents generation uh in the in the in the great depression like their what were their outlets right it was the movies it was baseball maybe a football game um but they didn't have a whole lot and, and so my outlet has been sports cards and it's been youtube it's been guys like you and, and dustin and, and a few others um but i, I really enjoyed your your take on a lot of this stuff because it's 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 unique it's different and why well, I, I appreciate that thank you and 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 so you know in in order to 
be well-rounded in, in anything, especially in the hobby. Um, you should look at all sides. Uh, even if you don't collect vintage, or in my case, I don't collect modern stuff, mm-hmm. I still want to know about it. I still want to know what's going on today. You know, you know these cards. I think personally, I think we're in a new junk wax era. Big, you know, recent video out. Uh, I haven't watched it yet, um, but people talked about it in my chat on Friday, last Friday, saying that you know, tops twenty twenty one baseball base set print run is over five hundred thousand. I mean, that's mind boggling. Five hundred thousand. It, it was more. And it's more than that. Oh my it, it was it was more. And the 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 numbers that I've I've seen over the over the years is is I can't even count that high. Um per, especially with you know Bowman and well not yeah, Bowman I'd say. Uh, but especially Don Ross and Tops from night from ninety ish from no I'd say so so there's the the printing itself has changed uh for it first it first changed in like nineteen forty nine and then with Bowman and then because that's how you get you can see the difference in in the cards and the texture uh of of cards from like nineteen forty eight to nineteen fifty and then and then nineteen fifty three the you have to feel the card, but you can kind of and see it. But you can kind of tell there's a different stock to it. And when is kind of the last big jump in stock? I feel like there was a, a, a significant jump somewhere between like the '50s and then like 1970. So, so all right. So it's 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 the way they printed the cards uh, in 1974. They they changed they they changed the way they they printed the cards. I, I think they actually print they change the 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 press itself hmm. um and and i think they even stopped doing they used to issue the cards uh in in like uh series right so like series one two three whatever yeah. um they stopped i think they stopped doing that in 1974 and yeah, then some exceptions you'll see like they'll have high number cards like in yep. football you know 92 stadium club you know yeah but really uh, a series upper deck brought it back in 1989 oh, I, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure I, I could be i could be mistaken about that but uh in, in about 1985 or so the uh the the card companies stopped contracting out to, to third-party printers and they started mm-hmm. doing like top started doing it themselves um and and you know, there's a uh, there's a correlation there between between uh, the comic book industry and and sports cards that I I think is pretty interesting, in, in that you had especially with uh, you know EC comics. I don't know if you ever read any of those or know about like, Tales no. from the Crypt or, or Weird Science or anything. No. Nope. Uh, so I I started to notice, and I read a lot about this, but a lot of a lot of those artists went from the comic book industry and they they did a little bit of work for tops and bowman and whatever especially tops uh and, and um i guess sometimes you can't you can't tell who the the artist is because they don't sign their names obviously but with a little bit of research and um and if you know the style uh of the art artwork you can sometimes tell who did who did it who did the artwork um for the, for the cards 
Um, we we actually do know a few a few uh, of those players actually those those artists who who did the cards. Um, I think Wally Wood was one of them uh, for the the 1962 Mars Attack set, which I, I highly recommend that set. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and, and and so like yeah, a lot of a lot of the uh, a lot of the card companies now like do their own own cards. Um, and they can print as many as they want. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but I'm, I'm just uh, the the quality today is is really kind of a going on a downhill slide. It's it's so bad, Ryan. When I opened a pack, I opened a couple boxes of twenty twenty one tops paper. You know, just base, just to open. You know, twenty bucks, whatever. Let me just open a box. And the second I opened them, I mean, you can tell immediately. Oh, these are made out of trash. Like, what did they make these out of? It is so poorly made. And that's when I knew I was like, they, there's no telling what the print runs are on these yeah. things that to be made like this. If, if you see, if you see a set, like I, I'd say like uh tops finest from like 1993 or 1993 uh, flare flare. Mm -hmm. um, th those cards are, are well-made cards and they were expensive at, for the time. Now it's, it's, it's different in, in the fact that they're trying to, I, I guess, um, they're trying to appease everybody, but they're doing it in the wrong way. I guess you can't, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, they're, they're issuing, they're, they didn't learn their lessons back in the 1980s and, and the nineties. And yep. And, and it's, it's, you have to wonder why, like, are they, you know, did they not learn? history through cards yeah it's so crazy to me because so you know a lot of people are anti the comp the big companies in the hobby and i'm like i mean our interest is you know as a hobby as a hobbyist our interests are aligned with with the big companies or they should be it should be for the long-term growth and success of the hobby that's what it should be yeah. but these card companies you know especially now with the fanatics news you know they probably look like you know they don't really care about the long term maybe but it, it doesn't matter but they just print this stuff in the ground and, and look at the profits of this year. And it's just like, man, I don't, I don't know if this is the best thing for the hobby. You know? And, and, and the, the, the funny thing is, is that tops almost went bankrupt in the early eighties. Um, because first off, if you have a monopoly, you eventually your ideas are going to run out of steam and, yeah. and you're not going to be able to, to do anything. You're not going to do any further research. You're you're not you're not going to be able to to do anything that you really want to do because you've eliminated your competition, and and I'm afraid that that could happen today again. Well, I, I mean, I I see the worry with that with fanatics, but as someone who does buy some cards for today, I am excited about this because I feel like we've already gotten there. The way Tops and Panini operate, they are monopolies in their own you know uh, no. you know era or in their own space. And to me, like I look at these cards and I'm like, these cards are 10 times worse than the cards that were printed 20 years ago. I mean, it's just, it's, it's almost like not object, you know, it's not subjective almost. It's just objectively right. bad. Like, we, what are you doing? Yeah. And, and we've seen this before. We saw it in the, in the late fifties with the, the 50, the 58 tops baseball set and the 59 tops. And I know you don't like that set. Um, and, and I'm not a big fan of it either, but you can tell they really haven't held up very well. And then once you get into like the 1960s with the, with the photography mm -hmm. uh, and the 1970s, the photography is, is trash, especially the, 19, the 1973 
top top set right man that's um, funny you, well i don't know there's some yeah, things i like about the tops there's some things i like about the tops photography from that kind of era because i liked where the pictures this might sound dumb i mean i could see where people don't like this i like kind of like the pictures are always in the, always in the, in the same stance they're kind of like they throw <laughs> right, the ball right. you know but i kind of liked it because it's semi an action photo but it's a good p picture of the face too like i have a bob gibson gibson card like that because i just kind of liked it nolan ryan you know but, but i could also see people not liking it it right. is what it is but i'll give you this it's not as good as 1954 tops 1950 no i'll give you that there's no question yeah the the uh the 19 so i i think i i might have said that the 1954 top set almost didn't happen yeah um yeah so because uh um uh Cy, Cy Breger, uh and and uh woody goman or gentlemen anyway those guys those guys um they designed those cards and they designed the 52 top set as well and and they went to their boss um uh joel uh I his name um oh i can't think of his name now but, but they were, yeah no uh, <laughs> uh joel shorn so they went that's to that's what joel i was shorn. gonna say it was right there on the tip of my tongue i almost yeah so, <laughs> so so i'm such a nerd <laughs> so so uh they went to him and and to to overlook the cards and he hated the, he hated the set and and he's like there's no way that i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna have you guys issue this set but yeah and 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 burger had to fight like tooth and nail to get it released and Man, that's crazy he, he did yeah and and so you know when it comes to design of a card each each design i mean you might not like it and you might like the design or whatever it is but it's a reflection of the era in which it was printed in i and i think sometimes so i love that it's very well said and then i think sometimes they do a great job of it right they do a good job of representing the era and maybe that's more design than printing specifically but like mm -hmm. you know, like i love 71 tops basketball it's so funky yes disco and it's just so it feels just right for the era you know i like that set uh, but there's there there certainly are sets that you just look at and it's like it just doesn't match necessarily it doesn't feel good i think that's a good i think it's a good indication of, of good card design like you know i mean is the card attractive i guess but especially if it fits the era yeah and and, and design will carry a card or a set same with the photography and and because there are there are certain cards that you're going to find that are just absolutely nasty um but might have a a a hall of famer on it and and you know there's you wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole because because the design is so disgusting or the photograph itself is is, is so unpleasing and and so like i hate to pick on one one player or one card but brooks robinson's 1958 tops card let me get uh, it. you know is exactly what i'm talking about when i say the value of a card um is reflected in in the design and the photograph this is not there's no way this is this man's card why would they take this picture i'm getting it pulled up hold on oh my gosh oh my gosh all right let's get this pulled up i mean this is <laughs> ridiculous why would they do this man this way i don't understand why would they do so that? bad I, I love Brooks. I love Brooks Robinson. <laughs> Why but... would they do this? 
I mean, for the radio audience, I don't know how to explain this. I mean, they made Brooks look like Forrest Gump, you know, like he was thinking about a math question or something. I don't know, man. Like, this is, it's so bad. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So that card is, it's, it's a second-year card, and it's always going to be cheap <laughs> for that reason. And, and, and so, like, you know, <laughs> I have no explanation for it. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why, you know, and it makes sense too, because like, you know, we, we've we talked about, I recently said, like, I'm looking to pick up a Willie Mays and I'm looking at maybe 54, 55. I'm not even considering 58 or 59 because I think the cards look bad. It's just not my style. You know, I don't like it. And, you know, if they were better designed cards, I'd be looking at them and that would be one more potential customer in that bucket, which would increase the overall, you know, value of those cards. But because I'm out of it, you know, it decreases it. Right, yeah. And, and a, lot of, a lot of collectors probably feel the same way exactly yeah and and, and so I, I was actually i have a question for you about about second and third year cards sure and and so all right so why are second third fourth or fifth year cards not as valuable as their rookies and would you collect them just to have a, a card of the player uh, yeah sitting on my desk is part of my collection that's a second year patty mahomes right there i have no issues with it i like i've always i've always liked and i never understood why people don't like like i enjoy collecting cards from years that people you know they they're all pro they're all star they're mvp they win a championship like those years matter to me i collect those cards i know a lot of people don't um you know and i understand i mean i don't i guess i understand the appeal of the rookie card it's the first year you know um but I do look beyond that, especially if a player's rookie stuff is out of reach. And like the, this Mahomes, this one in particular, I just really like the design of this particular card. And so like, I'm like, I just, I like that card, you know? So I'm happy to have that as my Mahomes card. Um, but uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? Um, well, you know, looking at that, uh, that 59 uh, uh, Jim Brown, the tops Jim Brown, there's such a disparity between his rookie and his second year card that I, I don't quite understand it. Um, I think, for me personally, I, I, I won't touch his, his rookie card. I like his 59, but that's just me. Um, there there are certain cards, I think, that are, are rarer than the player's uh, rookie. I, I think sometimes, I, I'll give you an example. Um, the, uh, the, yeah, it's just... Versus that. Just pulling that up for everybody, because... Yeah, I mean, we, you and I talked about this. I, I, I agree the 59 looks much better than 58. There's no question. I just, I'm a football collector and the 58's iconic. So I wanted that in my collection, you know? Cool. I also want the 59, but anyway, continue. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you look at like basketball specifically, the, the 1986, um, the, the, the 86 flare set, and then you look at the 87, uh, a lot of those 86 flare cards are, and they're getting untouchable. It's just, and, and and a lot of those cards are not the players' rookie cards. Um, the uh, a lot of players have. In fact, I think I have a few. I mean, nearly every. I mean, almost. I mean, even the Jordan. You know, they, Jordan had star cards prior to that. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. The, yeah, the star. Let me see if I can. There we go. The stripe. Yeah. That sucks. There we go. Who's on, the, is that? Barkley. Uh, that is Isaiah Thomas. Oh, Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Um. Which I really wanted a uh, an '86 Flair Isaiah Thomas, and I couldn't couldn't afford it, so I went with his star cards. And 
I understand people's concern about star company basketball cards um, because there, there's a lot of like mystery and fraud uh, mm. surrounding them. But the one thing that those cards have going for them are, are their, their photography. And, and there, there are players in that, in that set that, you know, if you can't grab their, their 86 cards, you, yeah. you'll be able to get, you'll be able to grab their, their star cards. Now, it seems to me that because the, the 86 flare set has um, spiked uh, in value that it's caused people to, to grab uh, the players uh, 87 flare uh, cards. And, and that, I think that's causing that set to go up as well. Um, yeah, I think I think we're seeing it all the way through at least 88 Fleer, so three years out. Because I know I was collecting the 88 Fleer set. I was like, I think I might like to put together this whole set. And then I guess I waited a little too long and the Jordan spiked. And I'm like, I'm not going to pay that, you know, for a third, you know, for this Jordan card. I'm just not interested in paying it. So, yeah. yeah. And, and and so that, that kind of like gets me back to the, the 87 Fleer Jordan for forever. That card was like a $60 card. And. And and uh, and and I think at one point I saw it at, at, at like twelve hundred. I'm not sure what it is now. My goodness! <laughs> but, but you go from sixty to twelve hundred, um, in in a New York second. That's I'm not sure what the you know why Jordan's cards have have spiked. So He's just recently. the name, you know. If there was one name in the modern, you know we'll say post fifties, post sixties, you know, it's, it's Jordan. And yeah, man, people flock to that stuff. I know I'm sure his star cards are, you know, mostly out of reach. I'm sure they're wildly expensive, but I'm sure everybody else like, you know, Barkley, I've been looking at Barkley his 86. I'd like to pick up his rookie, but you know, his, his 86 and a PSA eights, like uh, maybe 400 bucks, you know, I would imagine the star cards probably way cheaper than that. So. But Barkley, Barkley is definitely one of those Yogi Berra type players um, yes, that, yeah. that he, he transcends um, to different generations because there's guys like me who, you know, I grew up watching the Celtics from the eighties and, and, sure. um, and, and so I, I caught a little bit of Charles Barkley, just a, just a tad. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think he's, he's definitely popular as a, ball player but he's also very popular as a sports announcer and uh his commentary is it's phenomenal pretty, yeah it is he really you know without getting political he, i mean he speaks to a lot of the heart of america too you know i think he says what's on his mind and people even if they disagree with him they at least appreciate that you know in a, right. in a culture where a lot of people just are scared to do that you know he um he doesn't he gets slaughtered i mean he's won emmys you know him and Shaq are winning emmys doing this stuff so i mean it's Pretty amazing. Yeah, Shaquille is a, a he's another he's another player. So so like in my collection, I I add very little um, modern players. I think I, I I have a Tom Brady card by accident. Mm -hmm. uh, I got another Paul Pierce card by accident. Um, I I don't I never I never went and s seeked out one of their cards for for what whatever reason. I just was not into. I was always into vintage. And, sure, but um, there are there are some modern players that you should add to to your collection, um, and I think you know Barkley is one of them. Bird is another. I got you know. Well, since you said his name, there's 
86 Fleer Bird right there. Oh, that's nice. I picked that up right before the set really spiked. I got it for maybe like 60 bucks or something like that. It's just a beautiful card. It's in great shape there. So, yeah. Yeah, those, those, um, those Bird the, um, and, and Magic Johnson and the, the Lakers and the Celtics back in the 80s, um, that, that was pretty special. And, and I, would, I would say, too, that, I, you know, I saw a definite change before and after Michael Jordan. And, and you know, I think, I think basketball was a much tougher sport back in the 70s. I mean, when Dr. J, who sure. I, I loved watching, um, when Dr. J was, was playing, and even like Pete Maravich. Um, and, and, and for the record, if, if, if you don't have a 1972 uh, or 70, I'm sorry, 71 tops Pete Maravich card in your collection, go out and grab one. <laughs> it is a beautiful card and and um he was a very special player so um those 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 cards and those sets and, and basketball in, in general from that era um we're not gonna see it again you know yeah so. i'm a fool for hoping fanatics might do something special but we'll see you know probably not huh probably just more mass produced nonsense what, what i was what i am hoping for um is an nft that has a clip of some of these vintage players um and, and so they can you know it might inspire other collectors to to collect vintage um if they can see a clip of, of like say Babe Ruth or yeah. Ted Williams or you know Walter Johnson, um, I think that would be really cool. The, the only, I, I'm not entirely familiar with M NFTs as, as I'd like to be. I don't really understand. I don't really understand it, and I try. I really try, but I don't understand how you can how you can buy and sell one of those. I mean, you can buy it and sell it just like anything else. I just don't understand why, you know, people think it's unique. Yeah. I understand that there's only, you know, 2000 of them made and you own one of the 2000, just like a card. But the problem is I can't copy and paste a card on my computer and have it the same as you, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just different. It, it's um, th there's something, there's something there when you buy, sell or trade a regular sports card. Um, there's an interaction there. This would be an interaction through the internet, and and I think you lose something um, when you when you buy cards through the internet to begin with. Yeah, there is this level of like actually this this Jerry West. I don't. We're not going to linger here, but this uh -huh. one I got. You know, I was pretty disappointed. The pictures were so bad. I know it doesn't look like it on the camera, but I mean, there's creases all over this thing. And I even asked the guy, like, you know, can you send me some more pictures? And he just wasn't responding. So then I made an offer. And then, you know, I get it like this, and it's just got all these creases. And I sent him a message, and I'm like, hey, man, I'm sorry, you know, but, like, this is just not acceptable condition. I understand it's a PSA 1, but there's a large, you know, variety, there's a large variability in that grade, and this just wasn't up to snuff. And then he got mad at me, and he's like, well, I don't know why you marked it as, like, not as pictured you should have put change your mind or something like that and i'm like i didn't change my mind you know like i i wanted a nice looking psa one of jerry west you had a pictured a nice looking psa one of jerry west unfortunately it's a it's a poor P psa one of jerry west i don't want that you know but you, I, I, he feels i i can sense he's angry you know and he 
Yeah. I think if we had that conversation in person, you know, it wouldn't be like that. Do you think uh, if they had another another uh, outlet similar to eBay that prices would go down? And 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 it's not particularly the prices of the cards, but it's the the shipping, <laughs> the price of shipping. I've noticed has gone up and up and up. Yeah, it's keeps climbing up. I mean, my slabs, I've definitely noticed on my slabs that card, you know, the, you can get cards for cheaper and you will happily sell cards for cheaper because it's a 1% fee instead of a, you know, 15% fee or whatever it is. The shipping prices are the same. So keep that in mind. But um, yeah, I, I definitely, yeah, yes. If you remove fees from what I've seen in the hobby so far, if you remove fees, the prices will go down as the fees go down. So, um, so, all right. So we have, uh, we have two sets of of value and it's it's graded cards and raw cards and this is the one thing that i don't really see in any other industry where you have two two sets of value for the same product and you know why why would that be like why would you you know what i'm saying like yeah how I mean, can you justify that there's well let me ask this and me this may be a bad question to ask. No, neither one of us may know. In art, in the art world, is there a set of value for a, a piece that is that has you know well documented provenance versus one that doesn't? Um. Yes, but you're not. You're dealing with one piece of art. The every, every essentially every piece of art is unique. Right. I mean, technically, baseball sports cards are unique too. Um. And the fact that, you know, they not every single one of them is different, if you understand. But People are obsessed with this 10 idea. It's ridiculous. And, you know, for me, I what I have, you know, two years ago, I had almost no graded cards in my collection. Now I have a few. And the the thing for me is, one, especially if you're looking to sell them, it's easy to sell because it's, it's in, you know, it's graded. We agree on the grade. Okay, whatever. And it moves. But then two, I do have to say now for even for my PC, I've started to grade some cards because I like that it's encased and I, I don't have to worry about it as much. I, even like I got this card here. I mean, it's a Marshawn Lynch. No one cares. But when I got this card, I never even looked at the grade. I didn't care what the grade was. I just wanted it in a slab just for like protection. And frankly, like I think it shows better, you know, when I've got it on my desk or if I've got it behind me, like I think it shows a little bit better too. Oh, okay. But okay. as far as like, man – Look, people are hung up on this whole grade thing, and it's I, probably the detriment. Yeah, you know, I, I never, I don't understand um, the difference between, say, an eight and a ten. I, I just, and maybe that's me. I, I can't understand uh, what what the difference is, um, especially in price. But I, I think, you know, J, the, of all the things that Dr. Jim Beckett did, he he got the grading down right. And he wrote down exactly how this stuff should go. And now he didn't really come up with that idea. It was a little bit, you know, it came up in 1981 um, through, uh, I think, Baseball Cards Magazine. Um, but he he came up with, with a system that worked. It worked for us back in the 80s and the 90s before grading. And... Uh, it, it worked, and and one of the reasons why it worked is because 
he used statistics, especially with the value of the card. Hmm. And and what he did, and he says he says exactly what he did. So it's not a mystery. Is that in 1976, 77, he he went out to different different uh, cities, and he uh, he basically, I guess, um, asked different collectors uh, what they were paying for their cards, and then and then soon, um, what what he came up with was a a mathematical formula for those cards based on what what dealers were sending them in 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 uh you know in, in his in his magazines uh, every month and he'd have you know i guess as a sweetener he'd he'd have like um prizes that he'd give out to the to the dealers um you know i guess on a monthly basis uh so so he had this all down pretty well and and it, it's kind of gotten away from from collectors and the hobby in general um and, and all you have to do is read one of his one of his early sport americanas or or uh, his, his early buckets and and i guess you know if you haven't had him on your show i, I don't know but he He's on my list to invite. I have never spoken with Mr. Beckett. You talked about, you know, 16-year-old you. If, if you would have told you, hey, you're going to be writing, for, you know, if you would have told 16-year-old me, I would maybe have the opportunity to, to talk to Mr. Beckett. I would have lost my shit. So. <laughs> he's, I, I have a list of people I'd like to talk to. He's on the list. I just, I haven't reached out. He's, he's definitely a hobby icon at this point, and I'm pretty sure he hates that word. But the, the one thing you might want to ask him is how he started his 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 Beckett. I, I know how he did it, but I don't, I don't want to say, I want you to okay. tell him um, because it is a fascinating story. At least I, I think so. It's, it's funny. You even mention all this, Ryan, because I was, I was, I run pretty much every day. I, I just, it's a way for me to get in my head and think a little bit. And I was thinking, I was like, if I had Mr. Beckett on, what would I think? Or what would I ask? And I was like, should I ask him stuff? That's probably well-reported. Like, you know, how he started stuff like that, you know? Because like, yeah, it's probably well reported, but I, I think there's probably a lot of people who don't know about it and maybe asking is, is worth it. And I don't know, but. So, so one, one thing you want to ask them is, is all right. Um, if you haven't been to a, to a national at all, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be going to the, to the one next year. I plan um, to go next year, but we'll see. Yeah. Just, you know, watch out for those seagulls and, uh, <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get you, man. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway yeah atlantic city sounds like it's gonna be a great time yeah anyway um so the the first national was i wrote a story uh, an article about this um the first national was 1980 and it was in response to collector demand and and dealer demand and so along along with the national you, you had um programs and they they still have programs for these nationals and and so along with my my foolish collection back here i i have a bunch of um national programs and, and the one in particular um is uh the, the 1984 uh, program um which is uh the, the the national in which dr beckett ended up uh participating in uh, and having his his uh his his uh, um magazine afterwards. Uh, 84? Yeah, eighty four. 
Yeah. Um, interesting. I believe if you find a copy of it, I, I think uh, Andrew Aronstein is on the cover, um, and and he's the son of a uh, another Mike Aronstein, um, who's uh, the uh, one part of the TCMA. Uh, you know, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, you should definitely ask him about that. And, um, you know, the one thing about, about Beckett, uh, back then, um, was that I, I would read those things instead of doing my homework and, and, yep. and, and, and I, yeah. And so, so the, the one, the one thing about, you know, Dr. Beckett was, was that he made, he made sports cards really fun and really, really interesting. And, and I, I really wanted to start my collection. But I, you know, I didn't know how. And 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 so Beckett was there. The the magazines were there to to help me out. Um, but the the problem is like I'm looking at the photos, and I'm looking at the prices. And and this the the fifteen and sixty year old me was like, I need to get a job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, because that there, if you think that the prices now are are, are high, you know, sixteen year old me was like, how the heck can I afford that? You know, and, and looking back at it, like you'd pay like eighty bucks for. For for a a, a mantle, uh, not a mantle, but a, a Stan Musial uh, rookie. You know, I mean, those cards weren't going for a lot of money, but it's all relative. Yep, yep, yep. You know, and in fact, so um, speaking of of Stan Musial, was there any Stan Musial cards that you wanted for your collection? Uh, well, I've actually that's one I've been looking into because uh, I do want to get a Stan the Man, and I was. That's why I asked. Yeah, I, I freaking, of course, yeah, it's 58 or 59, 52 Bowman or something like that would be pretty sweet, but, you know, that's kind of up there. So um, as much as I hate 58, I do have a little bit of a tie to 58 just through some personal stories. So I was thinking about maybe getting the 58 tops. So so, so Stan Musial as a ball player is he, – he's one of the best ball players of his generation by far, but he's very underrated in, in the hobby. He's very underrated yeah, in hobby, yeah. and it's it's um to me it's kind of concerning. Um, he he doesn't have a whole lot of cards out there, and and if through exclusive contracts we see a huge chunk of his career missing, um, which is it's 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 really too bad. I think he's got a 1954 Wilson. Red something heart. or other. Yeah, well, he's got a red heart too, but he also has a Wilson, like a oh. some, some kind of like Wilson product. Um, and, and so Wilson, if you don't know about Wilson, they were a a a, a meat company, I guess. That, um, hmm. and they they turned into a sporting goods company. Oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's neat. And and so they they have cards. At, um. They have cards, I think, as a meat company and as a sporting goods. <laughs> That's wild. I, I'm I'm pretty sure, because uh, they, they go back a long way. They go back a long way. That's that's why there's blood on Wilson and Castaway. It's just a callback. <laughs> yeah. <for the> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so, yeah, they they um 
the company has a, a set from 1953 or 54 um, that's very yeah, stands strong. in there. I, I don't they, think so. Oh, but, I don't think so. Okay. But uh, Ted Williams is, and, and that's a, a monster card oh um yeah. you might want to check out 54 wilson um so some of those regional sets are very very tough um but very um see so the thing is you can have a rare card and it won't be expensive yes um, and, and and it'll never a lot of cards unfortunately will never be expensive compared to their actual rarity um and 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 for whatever reason that is, um, I, I think maybe it has to do with, with like what we were saying before is generational, right? So, yeah, um, I think that has a lot to do with it. And then, um, so who, who in our generation or your generation, my generation or your generation is going to be collecting vintage, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what, you know, because I'm about 10 years younger than most of the guys, I guess, that kind of come back this time around because I guess I never left. <laughs> and I try to think, and I'm like, you know, people my age, when they come back, you know, what are they going to want to collect? And, I mean, there's going to be some guys that are just evergreen, the mantles and stuff like that. Like Barry Sanders, Troy Aikman, I, when I think football. Baseball, I think that, you know, but the problem with Junk Wax Air, right, because, you know, Sanders, Maddox, uh, not Sanders, but Bonds, you know, all these guys I think would would get some love. but. Yeah, I don't know. You know, people my age, if they went to vintage, I think they would just loop in and just do what everyone else is doing and say, "Oh, let me go get Mantle, let me get Maze, let me try to get these guys." You know? Right. So, so I when I collect vintage, I'm I may be collecting the the Hall of Famer, but for the most part, if it's from the 1910s, 1920s, or 30s, I'm I'm generally not. I mean, I have those kind of, like those Hall of Famers. Sure. But I'm I'm like like the 1916 M101 uh, cards, right? Your your sporting news, your your uh, what is it? Uh, your your um like those cards. Uh, you're not. Oh yeah. You're, you're not. You're not like uh yeah. So there's like um I want to say there's there's about 15 different backs in in, the, in those in that particular set. Um, you're not you're not collecting that set for the for the player, for the most part. You're, you're collecting the back of the card, the the advertiser, um, the the Joyce Green or the Gimbals, especially yeah. uh, department store. Uh, there's a, there's a couple of um, uh, there's a couple of breweries in there, but I, I I wouldn't some of those cards I would I would be very careful of uh, for trimming, and. And a lot of the, like especially the Babe Ruth card, and sure, yeah, and a few of those cards are reprinted, um, and and especially the the backs. So that's a very fascinating set in itself. Just just the uh, the the backs um, of of the, and I, I actually did research on that Herpelsheimer. Yeah. God, I can't pronounce that name. I, you did as good as a job as I'm going to do. Yeah. So I'm not going to make the same mistake and try to say it. So, <laughs> so I, I haven't written the article yet. It's I actually I have to update it. But um, one of those one of those sets, uh, the Green Joyce, 
uh, is is uh, a particular fan favorite of mine because the um, the the guy who who started the company he he didn't I think he died in 1908 and then his son took over and I think at 43 years old his son went into the military in World War One and he he died um, serving that country. And, and so the the company uh, ceased to exist because of that afterwards, um, and that's that's the rarity of that particular right. yeah. that's crazy. Uh, card set. So um, that's 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 the kind of stuff that I enjoy talking about, and it's it's, it's not just the cards; it's the people behind them uh, and, and the ball players as well. Yeah, Ryan, I, you know, I got to be honest, you know, I was pretty happy when you said, you know, you'd be willing to come on and uh, this was just way better than anything I could have imagined. I mean, you, your, your depth of knowledge for, for this stuff is, it's just amazing. And, uh, you know, thanks so much for coming on, Ryan. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And then again, everybody, you know, we'll have links in the description below or in the description if you're on a podcast, but history through cards is Ryan's website where he posts his articles. And I've, do highly recommend checking out his articles because I mean, uh, they are phenomenal. I think, you know, we've talked at, at length here about, you know, some of this stuff and, you know, if any of that interests you definitely go check out his stuff. He's got a, a wide, um, array of articles covering a wide array of, uh, topics. Okay. All right. Well, Ryan, thanks so cool. much again. I appreciate it, sir. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. This has been awesome. I, hey, I love talking was, about this stuff. It was an absolute pleasure.